Hi, this is Spider-Man, and I'd love to stick around and listen to amazing Spider-Talk, but Madam Web just told me Doc Ock is about to kidnap Mary Jane Watson, and well, a spider's gotta do what a spider's gotta do. Two men who know the angles, uncover and untangle, all the questions and the webs left out to tangle. I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the founder and editor of AmazingSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mischievous Marchinacchio, founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. The very book where we got our nicknames of Dapper and Mischievous. Who, who could have thought of it, Dan? It's awesome. And that's just one of the wonderful memories of the past 100 episodes because thank you, everybody, for joining us. For Mark, I can't believe I'm saying this, our 200th episode anniversary spectacular of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans, or really a whole bunch of fans, and a whole bunch of collectors, and a whole bunch of creators, as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Dan, I mean... 200 episodes, more than five years in the making. You know, I somehow go back to a conversation you and I had back in the day. Where do you see us in five years? (laughs) (laughs) And I famously said, five years? Something must have horribly gone wrong. And I think it has, because here we are, Dan, 200 episodes. Huzzah! Amazing Spider Talk is here. we got so much to cover in this celebratory episode of the show. Uh, first, we're going to start off uh, with a conversation you and I recorded at Terrificon in front of a small audience, uh, conveniently located at the racetrack bar in the Mohegan Sun Casino. I'm sure the people at the sports book really appreciated all our chit-chat about Spider-Man while they were trying to gamble on horses. Well, everybody uh, <laughs> thought that we were a sports podcast, so they must not have heard super clearly. That's great. Uh, let's not talk about what we saw in the bathroom that night, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> the less said about that, the better. <laughs> yeah, Dan, I mean, you know, the less we say about that, the better, of course. But um, what we do want to talk about is what we said in that conversation, which is where we shared our thoughts of the show and what has happened in the past 100 episodes. Uh, and then we even get a brief appearance from the Ultimate Spin's own Brian Jacob. If you like navel-gazing people, you got to check this out. <laughs> yeah, then we'll be going straight to our interviews with all kinds of Spider-Man creators that we got to meet at Terrificon, including Nick Spencer, Christopher Priest, Bob McLeod, Barry Kitson, Paul Souls, and Mark Guggenheim. So hang around past the navel-gazing for some actual amazing interviews with a bunch of creators. Yes, Dan. And then once we're done with those creators, we'll be turning it back to you, the listeners of the show, uh, and we'll be playing your voice messages you left us in the celebration of our 200th episode. It's a ton of content, definitely worth listening all the way through. You never know who might show up. 
I mean, seriously, Dan, uh, you just have no idea who might show up. I think even you were surprised by one of our guests. You will know when I just shut up and don't have anything to say because I'm so surprised. But before we get to all that, it's especially important for me to emphasize just how much this episode wouldn't be possible without support from our wonderful Patreon subscribers. Literally, the only reason Mark and I were able to meet up and fly across the country to get these interviews was because of all of your generosity. We just can't thank you enough. Mark and I, we communicate over the internet, but being in person together is a really rare instance for us. The last time was at my wedding, so this was a really special treat that allowed us to hang out together, and there's just no amount of, like, dollar sign you can put on that. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it, it really does kind of give a true demonstration of the power of you have as listeners to, you know, give us the resources we need to deliver the best content we possibly can. Uh, it, it, it's truly a wonderful gift that you guys give us uh, each and every month through Patreon, and uh, we cannot thank you enough. Yeah, so if, if you want to help us out as well and you're listening to this, if you enjoy the show and you want us to help continue doing amazing things like this, like flying across the country and meeting up together to record interviews, maybe something less specific than that, um, you can get amazing bonus content as well and additional episodes that are never released publicly. Please check out our show notes and check out our Patreon page and consider joining the team. Yeah, Dan, and for this episode specifically, we wanted to send a special thank you to uh, a couple of our patrons who joined us at Terrificon. Uh, those two, of course, were Chris Dunn and Jason Carrier, who was rocking uh, the Chasing Amazing shirt, I must add, at uh, Terrificon. Uh, I mean, you know, seeing that in the flesh, I think I know who my favorite contributor to our show is, Dan. <laughs> you can buy Mark's affection. But uh, yeah, it was really neat to meet them in person. So thank you, Chris and Jason. I don't have any words for what it means to meet people that listen to the show and would, ha would you know, spend their time hanging out with us. So enough of that navel-gazing. Let's get to some more navel-gazing action with our conversation about our feelings upon reaching episode 200. <laughs> All right, Dan. Well, we are here at Mohegan Sun. It's the end of the second day of Terrificon. It's been a heck of a day, a heck of a last uh, 24 hours or so for you and I uh, since we arrived here talking to creators, meeting with fans and, and collaborators uh, on our, our great podcast. So we are at 200 episodes, Dan. So let's get navel gazy. It's going to be super navel gazy. So if this is your first time listening to the podcast... This is not how we normally do things, but it's going to be a peek behind the curtain of the kind of like personal stuff that goes on behind the scenes of Amazing Spider Talk. 200 episodes. Is this the one where you and I get together and murder a burglar? Yes, all in the pursuit of silverfish and buried treasure. <laughs> that sounds good to me, Mark. Uh, and Mohegan Sun is the perfect place to do that. Yes. Uh, it's kind of the basement of... Connecticut, as we've learned in our time here. Yeah, I wonder which slot machine has silverfish underneath it. <laughs> <laughs> Probably too many of them. 
Um, but the question is, only one has a burglar. There we go. Okay. Yeah. This is a weird way to start this 200th episode. But again, if it's your first time, yeah. you may want to skip to the interviews at the end. Yes, exactly. Of which there are many. Well, anyway, Dan, when we met for 100, uh, you know, first of all, it's worth noting that we, we've been doing this for five years now. And, and when, Dan, when you and I first started this show, you were kind of like talking about in five years and i think my response to you was if we're still doing this in five years something went horribly wrong (laughs) (laughs) well well, mark did something go horribly wrong let's just get through this episode okay (laughs) (laughs) no i i I think it's worth saying and and mark and i have already spent a number of days together already this weekend and we infrequently see each other what is this like the fifth time we've hung out maybe probably yeah something <laughs> like that um i mean other than every sunday night meeting on skype and right being disembodied voices uh you know in a box although we recently started doing video chat so that's been a big upgrade yeah i can like finally see when like i say something so ridiculous that you just completely roll over from it so yeah well <laughs> back to my main point is really like and we'll get into how this has manifested itself but like the best thing about the show is that like I know that I made like a really good friend at, like out of the show and there's been teary moments all weekend and uh, we're a couple beers deep so that might continue uh, right. tonight. But, uh, you know, we love Spider-Man, but like really this has become less about that and more about like our relationship in a way. And this will be an episode like all about that, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, well, Dan, I think one of the first things we should do is. You know, obviously getting to 100 episodes was an accomplishment. Uh, 200, I guess, is it, uh, two times that accomplishment. I, I feel like I'm getting a little little Trumpian in my uh, hyperbole here. Do we just pat ourselves on the back several times? I think so. But let's, like, let's also talk about what's changed for us personally uh, over the last 100 episodes because there's been a lot of big life changes for us, right? I mean, yeah. most notably with you, you're, you're no longer Dan the Bachelor, so that's important. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much we've talked about this, but... Like, like when the show has started, like I've known you, Mark, longer than I've known my wife. Right. Uh, which is crazy to sit, to think about. Sometimes I feel like I talk to you more more than I talk to my wife. Um, I mean, I've known my wife longer than you, but that still might hold true for me, which is kind of odd, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> when I first met my wife, I remember it was like maybe what nine months into the show and then like a year into the show i was like oh we're going to la my wife and i from maryland we're going to la because we might move to la together and we had known each other for three months and you probably thought i was a psycho yeah i was a little concerned about what was going on in your life but i said nothing because i trusted in you dan because because how could someone who be so right about spider-man be so wrong about what they're doing with their romantic life but at the same time she's a redhead so i think you and i share that at least well yeah but you know when it comes to love that's all we share okay (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah um i did i got married a little over a year ago and one of the coolest things about the wedding is that this guy who i'd met three times and talked to over the internet was suddenly in my wedding that's true. I, I don't know who that guy was. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, you had me reading something by uh, Stephen Tobolowsky. Of course and, I did. Because that's what you do. And um, I got to meet your family. And I'd met Amy a couple times before then, which was nice. That's my wife, for yes, those who yes. haven't listened to the episode where our wives appeared. Exactly. So, um, and you got to, um, well, you had met my son a couple times as well. But I guess, you know. I'll never forget the first time I ever met your son. His way of approaching me was kissing me directly on the lips. Do you remember this? Yeah, yeah, I do. 
<laughs> Not much has changed in that regard. So, <laughs> yeah, no, but it, it, it was obviously good to, to be able to share in that moment with you guys and, and, and to be there for you. And hey, I got to see uh, Annapolis, Maryland, which I had never been to, despite only living like four hours from it. So, I mean, that's pretty cool. So. It was really fun. And having you in the wedding was a really great. I honor. went to your, your comic book store and like they knew who you were in there. And they're like, and I was like, yeah, well, I'm the one who did that. They didn't have my, my book had just come out at that point and they did not have my book in stock. Which Here's the embarrassing thing about this, Mark. That wasn't even my comic book store. Oh, okay. That's another comic book store that plays our podcast over the speakers in the store. There in Annapolis, go. Maryland. That's 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 just weird. Right. You yourself this is weird to say on our show because obviously we're people of many hobbies. Right. But you have become in the past few years very passionate about another hobby, which I feel a little bit like uh, you know, like I've been cheated on in some regard. <laughs> um, th- tell us a little bit about that. People might not even know, uh, although anybody that follows you on Twitter is bound to know about some of your like extraneous interests. Yeah. Well, I mean, Dan, a, a little bit after, probably a little after our hundredth episode, I um, kind. I had a little bit of a come to Jesus moment about my my health and my 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 wellness and I, I started to you know eat better but I also started exercising more including I started to run and I had run in high school uh, through you know through cross country and track and stuff like that but you know I was I was way out of shape and but needed to kind of do something to get a little semblance of balance back in my life and you know originally it was just something to get healthy and um, I started doing it more and more. And then, you know, some, some personal stuff in my life happened that kind of necessitated me having more of an outlet for both like stress and, and, and just physical exertion and things like that. And the, the, you know, just going out for a run here and there became me becoming a marathoner. Um, and I ran my first marathon last year and, and I ran a second one in this past May and I'm running my third one in this October. And, you know, I know that it's sometimes been a challenge for us. And so one of the reasons why I would even think of bringing it up in this episode, because it was kind of like this new thing. We already have these busy lives. We have wives. I have a child. We have families and jobs and things like that. I mean, this is this is a hobby, as you mentioned. Um, so to kind of like bring that balance and I've always appreciated how you've kind of just rolled with it to some degree. I mean, even, of course, you know, even on this trip, it's like, well, I got to get my run in in the morning <laughs> and you're like, uh huh. Well, when are we going to record our episode, uh, Mark? <laughs> but I, I, it's, it's just worth noting because I, I feel like it has impacted the show to a degree, but we've kind of done a good job and or I, at least you've done a good job in managing me and, 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 and being a good sport about it and not letting it like, you know, affect affect us to a negative degree I think so we don't often talk about the schedule and I think you know I I listen to a lot of podcasts and I don't think about like who is actually producing these things you know you and I record on Sunday nights and now we release on Wednesdays but it used to be before our show changed that we would record on Thursday nights and it would be out on Friday morning which meant that I would edit the entire show for anywhere up to five hours or more uh, the night after, and, and we already have the struggle that you're in New York and I'm in LA, and the first 100 episodes for, I don't know, maybe like the first 50 episodes or so, we were in the same time zone. And, and having even just three hours apart makes things you know, increasingly difficult. Right, right. Well, um, you know, we've kind of developed the science to it now, and, and you know, but again, like I just, I, I, I felt like I needed to kind of mention that not because I'm you know want to brag about it or anything like sure. that but I feel like you know it, it, it just kind of demonstrates how much of a of a 
chemistry and a connection you and I have in terms of doing this that we can kind of, you know, really blow this, you know, blow something up. I mean, I'm running, there, there are some weeks I'm running 50, 60 miles a week, which is a lot of time. To be it's doing. really inspirational, guys. I mean, just the weight loss on its, on its own. Right. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's, that's certainly one of the big changes. And then, you know, like, I think it's worth talking about you professionally. I mean, you've kind of gone through a couple of iterations over the last hundred episodes. I mean, I know you're, you're in a you're in a really good place now and, and not that you weren't in a good place earlier but like you kind of got to see a side of things that i think added some new insights to our show and, and would love to hear you talk a little bit about that yeah i mean i don't want to get too deep into my psychology but i'll say that like there were a number of years there that got pretty dark for me in regards to employment i think i probably mentioned it on the show that like i was pretty much unemployed for two years but with with brief stints in the comics industry as i tried to kind of take what we were doing here and try to find a bit of a career around it. Um, and I worked at CBR for a little while as a, an assistant editor. And uh, I also worked as an editor for a comic book company called Emmett Comics, which is now defunct. But um, it was a, an incredible experience to really learn about like how comics were made, to edit my own comics, and kind of understand all different aspects of the industry. And I feel like I've kind of brought that back to the show in a way. I know that it has really made me appreciative of deadlines and things that like we would probably be like overly harsh and critical on. Like seeing it from a different perspective really kind of changed the way that I approach comics and I've always felt like you and I were very fair um, and good at verbalizing our critique but something about working in comics and I'm still working in comics in a way uh, in that I'm writing a, a book myself although a lot of people are writing books that aren't published yet. But I don't think I could ever go back to looking at comics the same way I did before. But it also has kind of opened up a lot of opportunities for like relationships with creators that weren't there before. And we'll talk a little bit about some of those as we go later uh, into the episode. But that was you know, a big change for me. I'm, I'm back to teaching now, but I, it's been a really holistic kind of thing for me to go through all of this. Well, uh, like I said, Dan, it, it was good to kind of get those insights out of the show. I mean, personally speaking, I've, as much as I love comics, I've never had much of an interest of working in the industry, uh, probably for some of the reasons that you've experienced yourself <laughs> uh, about working in the industry. But at the same token, you know, I came into this um, this situation with a background in, in journalism and editing and whatnot. So, you know, I've always kind of felt like I've at least brought that insight to it. But again, like, you know, trying to, as we've found this weekend, like doing journalism in, in a newspaper setting or a magazine setting is different than trying to do comic book journalism. I don't even know if comic book journalism truly exists in a way that, you know, it's, 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 it's a very weird hodgepodge. I mean, I think, you know, maybe the closest is stuff like what we're doing uh, in this episode and, and in some of our other interviews where it's just trying about having conversations and exploring ideas. But like, you know, in terms of news, I don't, you know, it's basically just kind of regurgitating. Uh, <laughs> we, tr we tried on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com for a while. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. that's been a big change, shutting that down to some regard. Uh, absolutely. But, I mean, you know, kind of talking more broadly than, than the personal lens, Dan, I think the other thing to note over the last hundred episodes is just how much, you know, not to toot our own horn, but I feel like 
the show has really taken off in a significant way. And, and there are a number of factors that have contributed to it, some of which are things that are, you know, might be a little too in the weeds, even for a 200th episode that we should be talking about. Um, but, but You guys like, all like hearing about algorithms, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. And search and, and, and uh, what do you call it? SEO and uh, everything. <laughs> but no, but like, I mean, more, but like, it's, it's led to some really crazy experiences. Like, I mean, you know, just only a, like a month or two ago, Dan, and, and who knows, there's a good chance that this person is listening to this episode, but I came home from work uh, at the same time that my upstairs neighbor did, uh, a gentleman who had you know moved into my uh, two two floor apartment building. And this this is this is describing it in a strange way. It's literally there's two places to live yeah. in your apartment. Yeah. It's not like there's two whole floors. Yeah, no, it's a Brooklyn row house, so it's you know first floor, you know first floor, second floor, you know, and and so this this gentleman is getting home at the same time I am, and we we're just kind of you know. Ex, ex, you know, exchanging pleasantries, and he he then says to me, "Oh, I I like your I liked your show," and I kind of looked confused because this is not something that I typically have said to me in any capacity. And as you know, after a little bit of kind of you know, what are you talking about from me, discovered that he uh, was a fan of our show and must have like caught my name from the mail or something like that and put two and two together. And you know, it just so happens that this gentleman who moved in about a year ago is a Spider-Man fan and a listener of the Amazing Spider-Talk podcast. And I think that's just the craziest thing in the world today. I still can't get over that. I think that's so strange. <laughs> I, I, like, the world should not be that small. I mean, although I'm guessing, I mean, there there are people listening to this that we've never talked to, and like listeners that like don't reach out to us, and and we might be surprised by exactly who is listening. Um, I was at a convention myself, walking around, and you know, I wasn't really talking to anyone, and I just so happened to like lean over and recommend a book to someone in the shop saying like, oh, you should check out this book. Not even a Spider-Man book. I was like, thank you, check out this book. And a guy in the other side of the store turned over and he was like, I'm sure he's listening right now. He turned over and was like, are, are you Dan from The Amazing Spider-Hawk? It was the first sentence I said and he just recognized my voice. And to me, that's so bizarre because I don't think that I'm anyone. But, you know, to someone out there, they listen to me talk. Yeah. Just the idea that people listen to me talk is still somewhat foreign to me. Yeah, the, you know, not, not only do they listen to you, Dan, but they actively seek out you talking, which, I mean, <laughs> I don't even know if I can claim that. Tell I that to my that. students. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, in, 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 you know, I, I kind of had similar experience. I mean, at this point, especially uh, I, I go into my comic book shop now and, you know, they know me as the guy with the Spider-Man podcast and the show. It probably also helps that all the books I pull are Spider-Man family books. <laughs> like, Something's up with this guy. Right, yeah, exactly. But, I mean, you know... We, 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 you know, it, it becomes a point of interest to their, you know, a couple of them are big Ron Friends fans and I was able to show them the, uh, the Ron Friends commission before it dropped because I had a copy of it on my phone, which they were like, just like totally ooing and eyeing about. So, you know, stuff like that is a lot of fun. Uh, you know, the other big thing, of course, uh, happened for us recently, well, last couple of years was right before, what was it for the Marvel anniversary or something where we got pulled by a Hollywood reporter, uh, about the top. Marvel stories of all time, which I just thought was weird that we were all of a sudden being looked at as authorities on the topic <laughs> of Marvel comics. The the best thing was the the quote from the editor was, "We reached out to Stan Lee and couldn't get him, so you guys were the next best thing." And yeah. It was like, "What? 
what are you talking about? Yeah, and of course that also lets you, I mean, you've been doing stuff for Hollywood Reporter that's not even Spider-Man related. That's been awesome. And, well, uh, I'm always the enterpriser, so, you know, I I, I reached out and have made it a, a kind of part of my career is writing for the Hollywood Reporter now. Yeah, and, 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 and just these little things, I mean, you know, they've, they've, they've benefited us in a number of ways. I mean, I feel like... You know, doing the show for five years, having 200 episodes under our belt, you know, like there are just like little things in terms of even how we communicate with writers and artists and other creators now. I mean, we, we experienced that certainly t- over the last 48 hours here in Connecticut in terms of talking to certain people like Mark Guggenheim and Ron Friends. You know, there's a, there's a familiarity now uh, in terms of dealing with them. When I have a question about something when doing research for our show and it kind of crosses paths with like the Jerry Conway era, I could just shoot Jerry Conway a note now and I can get a, I can get a response within the day. And it's not me. I'm not like trying to humble brag here. I'm just saying like it's, it's just like demonstrating where we're at with the show now. And, and I think it's really awesome that like we're just kind of, you know, it's, it's whenever people from outside ask me what it is we do and, you know, the Navy asks questions, well, how, how big is it or how popular you are? I'm like, look, it's a niche community. But within this niche community, I feel like we're we have very firm roots, like planted in now, and like we're part of it in a, in a really interesting way, and in a way I never imagined. That hence hence the if I'm doing this in five years comment, because <laughs> you know in my mind I'm thinking you know we'll be broadcasting to 20 people or something, and that'll be that, you know, which is I think unfortunately where a lot of podcasts go. What's been funny for me is the kind of change in perspective that you and I have had regarding the creators. Not that we aren't still like reverential to them, but they become people for us yeah. instead of myth. And I think it's kind of changed the um, attitude of the show too. Like we're, we're treating these people, we're still fans, but we're, we're not like ooing and eyeing over them. Not, I don't think we ever did that to any kind of dangerous degree. We've always been somewhat professional, but like, I remember the first time we had Jerry on the show. Yeah, that's a big deal. But you and I were like besides ourselves, like losing, I can't believe we're going to talk to Jerry Conway. And I still can't believe that we're talking to Jerry Conway and that he knows our names and like that people talk to him and he mentions us or whatever, but like he's become a person to us. Like, Jerry's a friend of mine. Like you said, you can email him. I see him at conventions and he's like, Oh, Hey, how's it going? You know, Ron friends heckles us when we, when we see him, you know, so they know us. I mean, yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. Um, <laughs> and, uh, that's a very specific story. Uh, <laughs> um, that may have happened today, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's been really interesting. And I think like whether we can be aware of it in the moment or not. It has changed the quality of the show. Like we can talk about Dicko and we'll talk about this later, but we can, we can talk about Dicko as a man instead of a myth. Yeah. Because even though we didn't know Dicko, like we've kind of had this appreciation for creators for their faults, their human attributes that I think I'm sure we were aware of, but uh, but couldn't really appreciate back in the day. Absolutely, and of course, like you know, through the success, it's allowed us to do some really cool things that have really engaged our community. I mean, there's the Spider Slack, which I wish I did contribute to more, but I, I recognize how awesome it is and and just the, what a great community it is. And of course, our Patreon page, Dan, which I really think has been a game, a game changer for us in terms of how uh, not only we we 
provide resources for the show. But I, I feel like, again, it's adding to the community factor of, of, of our show. Well, I mean, people don't know it right now. We are sitting with two of our longest standing Patreon members sitting across from us drinking beers. Um, and, and all of this is only allowed because the Patreon exists. I couldn't have flown out here and we couldn't have had the hotel without the support of all of our patrons so we don't just say thank you you know for the patronage like we're using it to make a better show and that's been huge for us because we did not have those resources especially when i was unemployed the the patreon was like just allowing me to pay to keep the hosting fees of the site up and now it's really become this whole thing where we can get commissions and we can fly around the country doing recordings and that to me is awesome i actually get to see you in person yes very crazy and let me be clear here as as you get deeper into this episode folks that no you're not just you know giving dan a plane ticket so we can hang out and talk face to face i mean we got some really cool content at this convention and i think it was you know again it was only possible because of 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 your support and 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 the resources that it provided for us so um you know it's you give to us and you know we would hope in return that you're going to get some really cool content um and and that that will you know I want to say make you want to give more, but at least you know demonstrate to you that that the support means something. You yeah, know? we don't take it for granted. It, it's it's an essential part of of the show. One thing I wanted to talk about in regards to money, maybe, is that um, you know a big part of our show at the beginning was our collecting of comics. Like we really made key to talk about like your chasing amazing element, uh, you know, your sight and memories of books when we bought them. But you and I have now been finished with our quest to collect all of the amazing Spider-Man comics for quite a while now, to the point that I imagine there's a lot of new listeners who don't even know that that was like a part of our show, that like you and I have complete collections of amazing Spider-Man, even if we both fight over the annuals. And I guess that's the first thing to really kind of address is you finally finished your collection within the past a hundred episodes of the show. Yeah, that, that's that's very true, Dan, and 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 it's and it's complete for real now because we had that one. Was that a Patreon only episode? I'm trying to remember if that made it into the mainstream or not. Um, it was a Patreon only episode where where I was where I was crowing about. I think it was I forget which annual it was, but I got one of the annuals and like without you know. Without really talking to me about it first, you said, "Well, what about the uh, the the bat- the Planet of the Symbiotes mini special? Uh, do you have that one?" And I didn't. And I I don't I, think I said it even that way. I said that was the hardest one for me to find. And I just kind of froze on and and like I'm not you know peeling in, in the effort of peeling back the the curtain, Dan. I was pretty pissed off at you for that. <laughs> you can uh, hear it because uh, I, I was like, "What the." bleep are you talking about here that 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 was not what you know i came on here to be like i finally did this so you can stop haranguing me i don't know if he wants to be put on the spot right now but i finally did get the planet of the symbiotes issue dan uh courtesy of one of our listeners and patrons dan i know that you know it really must just eat at your soul that you really can't hold that over my head anymore how do i communicate teeth grinding over a <laughs> microphone just ooh, when i heard that like no, that's okay, because you harangued me about the ends of the earth one shot, and thankfully our good friend Zeke Ward, who's not with us right now, 
uh, mailed that to me first. So, you know what? This is a healing moment, Mark. I think our our long battle has ended until I decide to arbitrarily shift the uh, goalpost yet again. I mean, maybe we can fight over the spectacular Spider-Man magazine, Treasury magazines. Oh, wait, we can't because we both got those this weekend, right? We did. We did. So, we are still collecting mm. things, even if we don't really necessarily talk about it. Um, it's funny because the collecting is kind of what brought us together, but it's it's not really like the core of the show anymore. No, it's it's not. But like you know, I I was actually telling uh, uh, one of our our patrons who's who's here with us this week on the story of first meeting Tom DeFalco back at uh, the Connecticut Comic Con five years ago. And, you know, as you're setting, you know, Tom was kind of giving us a hard time, which we later learned was just his sense of humor. Um, but um, at the time, we were kind of like getting a little nervous and put off by it. And as we, you were like trying to set up the microphones and stuff like that, and you were basically telling me to, you know, you know tell them about our show, tell them about our collections, try and like, you know, humanize things so like this isn't a freaked out experience. And, you know, so, so we're both collectors. We're both chasing complete runs of Amazing Spider-Man. And he was like, oh, well, which issue, how many issues do you have left? And at that point, I had like four. And he was like, oh, so you have Amazing Fantasy 15. I'm like, oh, no. And he's like, what do you mean you don't have Amazing? How can you be collecting Spider-Man if you don't have Amazing Fantasy 15? And then I was like, well, uh, you know, I don't have the all the annuals yet either. And he's like, well, what the hell are you talking about? You don't have four <laughs> issues left. You have like 20 issues left. This and I was like, yes, Tom, you truly are legendary. <laughs> exactly. So. Um, but yes, at that point, certainly the collecting element was, was still a very essential part of our show to the point that that's how we promoted ourselves even to creators that we were talking to. But um, I kind of like where we're at now where it's just more, it's back to being just a plain old hobby again, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, it's funny because the, the new heart of the show actually like came out of nowhere, which was, I think, your book really kind of helped us shift things in a different direction. And this was totally unexpected. You weren't like shopping a book around or anything. No, I mean when I when I had started chasing amazing, which predates that's the blog that um, I started writing about my chase to um, collect all the issues of Amazing Spider-Man. Um, for those who are, have not been indoctrinated, <laughs> um, you know, at that point, you know, I think like the blog to book thing was like a, a, a bit of a thing in terms of you know the the, the zeitgeist, but. You know, I never really saw the potential of that happening. And then uh, a couple of years ago, uh, in 2016, I got approached by Triumph Publishing saying, oh, you know, we've read your blog. We listened to your podcast. Um, we're looking, you know, they wanted to get something out before Spider-Man Homecoming. Of course, there's a great episode that you that you interviewing me that explains all this that I'm sure we can reference here. But, you know, the, the, the short version is... Um, you know, they wanted a, a, a Spider-Man book that kind of went through the history of the character and some background and some unknown facts and trivia and things like that. And, you know, again, the, the foundation was through the show uh, that got us there. But then I feel in having that book, it kind of lent some authority to, to both of us uh, as, as a place to go uh, for Spider-Man talk. And I think, uh, you know, we, I was able to mention the podcast in the book, so hopefully that helped bring more people in. But I just think in general, it, it, it just added another layer of polish to what we're doing that just, you know, anything that kind of just adds legitimacy. Because, I, I mean, I hate to be this way, but this is, this is an industry that I feel like legitimacy is hard to come by. And, and this was something that just gave us that in, in, a, in a different way and, and, and put us in a map. Even though I don't think the book has sold as 
as well as I wish it had, but it doesn't matter, you know? Like, I still have people who tweet at us um, that they have the book, they want an autograph, they want a book plate, whatever, and I always appreciate the support. I'm the first person to plug the book every chance I can, so... (laughs) (laughs) Buy the book! (laughs) But even more than that, the book has kind of provided a a spine for the new show. I think, like, after the book, it was kind of like, you know what, I think the show needs to change. For... A while, like I said, like we were recording on Thursday nights after a new comic would come out on Wednesday. So we'd have to get the comic, write a review for SuperiorSpiderTalk.com, write up all of our show notes, and, and, and process like what we were doing in 24 hours by our own kind of self-mandated desire to get stuff out. And then I would edit it Thursday night and release it for Friday morning, and it was kind of just insane. And... After years of doing that, four years of doing that, it was kind of like time to abandon our symbiotic, if you will, uh, relationship to Marvel's often bizarre and random publishing schedule. Yeah. I think I think the first thing I said to you when you proposed maybe changing things up is, I will do anything that will no longer make us slaves to the publishing schedule. And, and I, I think, you know... Even putting that aside, I, I love the new format of the show. I think this is like allowing us to get into this topic in a way that, you know, when we started, we didn't think, I don't even know if we thought it, not that it wasn't possible, but we just kind of were like, well, you know, we'll talk about Spider-Man stuff and maybe we'll do some interviews and maybe we'll talk about some classic issues. And I, I think that just the, 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 the focus that it's provided us and, and you know, it's just allowed us, I think, to really shine in terms of how we format our show and how we how we solicit our show and 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 really bring in new listeners. I mean, it's it's much more streamlined, and I think it makes us more listenable. You know, for either first timers or even long timers who may not be reading the new stuff or anything, it, it's really broadened our audience, and that's been probably more than anything else the biggest shift that has come uh, over the last hundred episodes. Because really, like at its essence, when we started the show, we were just two blokes that didn't know each other because I was bugging you for a little while to do a show, but we didn't have any kind of like credentials or connections or anything. Like you were doing this blog and had some readers and that was a good springboard for us. But we, you know, people might listen to us now and think, oh, these guys are very connected and very much a part of the comics industry, but really we're just two guys that know each other from now living on other sides of of the country and I don't think we could have done the show that we're doing now when we first started nor would we have thought to because the idea was just like oh there's a new comic coming out and let's talk about it and now like we've done the 160 plus episodes led up to this format change and I think only now could we be doing the high level of content creation that we're doing at least I think it's high level Mm -hmm. um with the creators that we're having come and talk on the show. I mean, and I think it's awesome. And in a way it's, it's like some weird kismet, like everything came together to make this happen. And the book was kind of the, like, I guess the, the spark of the whole thing. Yeah, whether it's it's Ron Friends to come on to talk about the the influences of, of Steve Ditko or Mark, I mean, very recent episode, but Mark Way talking about Peter's parents and, and the influences there and how that kind of fed into what he did later on. I mean, that to me, that was one of my favorite interviews we've ever done. And we didn't really ask Mark Wade 
anything about his career <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> I mean, we talked about the, 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 you know, the family business issue that or graphic novel that he worked on, but not so much like about processing. It was just kind of like as a springboard to talk about this historic topic about Peter Parker's parents. And like, again, yeah, it's, it, it's just, it's just a thing about the legitimacy issue that I was talking about. I mean, like we can, we can do that now because I feel like not because we're, bigger or better or anything like that but i feel like we have more confidence in ourselves we have more confidence in the show uh that allows us to like hey let's bring in an eisner award-winning writer to talk about peter parker's parents <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean we always open the show with the same thesis you know for the show and even though our show has completely changed i feel like the thesis still applies we're two fans and collectors looking at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. And by bringing on these creators, they're, we're allowing them to also be fans. Like Mark Wade's response was backed by his experience, but also allowed him to express his fandom for the character in a bit of a bigger picture. And, and I don't think that that's changed no matter of the format of the show. Absolutely. One of the things that has changed about the format of the show, or maybe not the format, is uh, bringing guests on the show uh, in terms of people who aren't industry professionals. You know, I think a lot of our listeners may also have listened to The Ultimate Spin over the years with Brian Jacob, and he kind of became like a, a, not a main fixture on our show, but like a constant friend of the show. And um, that was a huge kind of change for us in, in, in reasons we'll detail. And actually, Brian came and joined us here at Terrificon, and we sat down for lunch with him and talked to him about his own experiences with our show and, and our experiences with having him on it. So let's go to uh, that conversation. Hey everybody, it's Dan here. We are, well, we're not quite at Terrificon. We're sitting in a bar slash restaurant having lunch at Terrificon. And uh, I'm joined by Mark. Hi, Mark. Hey, Dan. How are you? And we've also got Brian Jacob here. Hi, Brian. Hey, guys. You might remember Brian from, well, several of our episodes, um, including the Marvel Retailer Summit episode, where I think we dubbed that one the Grumpy Old Men episode. That's right. Um, Brian obviously hosts The Ultimate Spin and is a good friend of ours. And we wanted to have him on this show for the 200th episode because, you know, Brian, not only being a longtime friend of ours and host of a sister podcast of, uh, of, 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 of ours, he's been in the past 100 episodes become like, you know, a small part of the show being in, on several episodes. Remember that Iron Man Miles Morales crossover that we did, oy vey, indeed. Um, but, you know, Brian, we wanted to have you on for any recollections and memories you have of, you know, your experience with our show, maybe the past 100 episodes, and we'll just talk about our kind of shared memories as friends. Sure. Yeah, Dan, if I can interject for a second, you know, just not to reveal too much about the sausage-making process here, but um, as Dan probably is thinking to himself, I have, for the longest time, always been a little hesitant about bringing uh, more voices onto our pro program when it wasn't a, um, a creator. And I, I, I think I can safely say that, you know, when we started having Brian on to occasionally guest on some Miles books and then, of course, the, the Grumpy Old Man Summit like that, 
uh, you know, Brian, like just your general knowledge and intellect and, and also your chemistry with us for what it's worth um, really kind of relaxed me to that idea. So, you know, I, that's, that's why I think it's it's important to have you on for this show for, for, for a milestone episode like this, because, you know, like it, it, it was kind of a breakthrough for me on a personal level. And since, you know, I make everything about me at the end of the day, as Dan can relate, um, I just wanted to like thank you for that and just for being able to jump in when you did and obviously all the great work you did on Ultimate Spin. So um, that was that was pretty awesome stuff. Uh, thanks, Mark. I, I really appreciate it. And, yeah, and for what it's worth, it's mutual. I mean, I was very aware of the chemistry and rapport that you and Dan have built up. And so when you guys invited me to be a guest on it, I was very nervous about it as well. So working both ways. Thanks for making me feel right at home, really. So I've, been, I've enjoyed every time I've gotten to hang out with you guys on the so, show and in person. So uh, being on the show, I guess I, uh, this is a bit of a navel-gazy episode because it is, you know, the 200th episode. I'm sure there's some listeners at home that were like, oh, I'd love to be on an episode of Amazing Spider-Talk because we all love Spider-Man so much or, like, I love talking to Spider-Man and I don't have anyone to do it with. Like, what, what has that experience been like, I guess, for you coming as an outsider? That is exactly what it was. I love Spider-Man and I didn't have anyone to talk about it with. And so... I've been a comic book fan for longer than I have been. So I was really, uh, I was reading Spidey in the 80s, and I drifted away from comics in general for a while and then started to have kids. I wonder what's going on with Spider-Man right now. And at the time, it was Superior Spider-Man. So I walk, walk into a comic shop for the first time. I grab it like, what is going on? This is amazing. This is crazy. And I, I was completely oblivious to all the drama that was going on in the real world surrounding this storyline and and all of that and so it's like I needed to talk about this with someone and the way it was pitched at the time it's like I my younger kids weren't really going to be reading it so I was looking for some kind of conversation didn't have anyone in my social circle that was into comics so I started looking for podcasts and went through a few uh, and then I landed on this thing called Superior Spider Talk and it was perfect and I didn't know you guys at all um, but throwing you on my uh, phone for the morning and listening on my headphones as I was commuting into work. It was like I had known you guys for years. It was such a great, natural, comfortable rapport. I love the approach of your show because it's like how I like to talk about comics and stuff. Like I like to dig deep into the ideas and I, I don't have a lot of patience for, oh, this sucks, it was crappy, goodbye. But it was like, I didn't like it and here's why. That was like, that was a revelation to me. So yeah, listening into it, um, started writing in, uh, and I think my favorite uh, memory of reacting strongly to the show was I was commuting into work, uh, coming in from Jersey to, to uh, Manhattan, you go through Penn Station, train drives, and slowly make your way out of these uh, subterranean tunnels up to the surface, and it's just jammed with people. And as I'm listening, I'm listening to Dan and Mark talking, and I know I'm learning about these guys through the show, and I learned that Mark has been collecting the entire run of uh, Amazing Spider-Man. And he just casually slips that he didn't know what a no prize was. And I've known for, like, I have knew that since I was a kid, because I would go through the letters section, and, you know, the, the editorial team was always awarding those out. And here was this guy who was, like, immersed in it way more than I ever was, enough to do a podcast about it, could actually go back and track down all these issues. And he didn't know. It was, to me, that was, like, Marvel 101. And I actually yelled, what? Like, at the top of my lungs, in the middle of this crowd, first thing in the morning, got way too many uncomfortable stares. And, yeah. 
can imagine mine. I would, <laughs> as someone who does the commute, not in from Jersey, but you know, on the subway through, you know, in New York City every day, I, I, all I can say to that is, I'm so glad that I contributed to an uncomfortable New York City commute moment. Uh, you know, it's it's an honor, Brian. It truly yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> and then shortly thereafter, you became part of the team, you know, just by writing in saying you wanted to join. You were one of our first collaborators on the website. Yeah, which I loved. The now defunct website and. Sooner or later, you were doing the ultimate spin and, and podcasting, and you know I'm sure that was a, a pretty amazing experience for you. I mean, I, I have to say, like, I'm a big fan of yours you oh. know, like, in the opposite <laughs> direction. You know, like, your interviews are, you know, we do a lot of interviews, but I'm j- eminently jealous of your interviews. I'm, uh, I'm sincerely humbled and, and flattered, and we've said it many times on our show, and I don't think you could say it enough ultimate spin owes everything that it was and became uh to spirit spider talk and amazing spider talk uh you guys set an incredible bar and that's what we were hoping to do uh as we were looking at a different corner of the web and talking about miles and eventually gwen and the spider friends interviews that you guys have done um really i think inspired the approach that we decided to take when we were actually connecting with creators and they were willing to talk with us. And it's like, all right, what would, what would Mark and Dan do? How would they approach it? So that really informs what we did. So thank you guys. On a, on a more personal note, you know, I got married last year and I came up to New York to do a bachelor party. And of course I had to have you, Brian and you, Mark, uh, at my bachelor party. And at this point in the episode, I'm not sure if we've already talked about this or not, but I think this is a great time to relive the like dorkiness of that night uh, <laughs> a true sausage party in every sense of the word it, it was we did eat sausage and pretzels at a, a german beer hall um where they were like many attractive women but no we were talking about spider-man comics for hours on end with our friend alan Schurstel. <laughs> And, you know, nothing quite like having your friends show up to your bachelor party with comics as a gift. So thank you, Brian. And Mark, do you want to say what you brought? Well, yeah, I I brought the the infamous uh, wheat cakes recipe from uh, Kurt Busiak's Untold Tales of Spider-Man annual number one. I just felt it was appropriate. And uh, did you guys ever actually eat the wheat cakes? I I did. I okay. did too. They were pretty good. I thought. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they were like old wheat cakes. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> like, uh, nothing more appropriate for a bachelor party than comics and wheat cakes. Uh, you know, I think Peter Parker wouldn't have it any other way. Absolutely. <laughs> now what more is there? Right. Now we are all just sitting at a table, beat red, yeah, in another like, bar, <laughs> talking about one other time we were at a bar together. Right. <laughs> well, Brian, I just wanted to thank you for, for, well, first of all, to coming up here to Terrificon to join us and, and being such a big part of the history of our show. And I know that you will be a big part of our show moving forward. Uh, at least I hope so. Here's to the ultimate spin. And our, our ongoing friendship. Uh, thank you very much. Cheers, guys. And I, I just, I'm so glad that we found each other uh, through this show and through this series and character. And yeah, here's to, here's to what's, what's coming up next. As uh, Scott Lang would say, uh, Scott Lang would say uh, thanks for thanking me. Here's to the grumpy old man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Going in style. <laughs> Thank you.
Well, Dan, you know, it's always great when someone like Brian comes on and, you know, one of his memories of the show, of course, is uh, basically me being a complete idiot about the fact that I didn't know what a no prize was. Um, so, so, <laughs> so beyond just that, why don't, why don't, you know, let's, let's, let's. We're like 150 episodes removed from that moment. That's true. But why, why don't we look at the last hundred episodes and, and talk some more about some of our, our, our more specific memories and related to our own content. Like, hey, we're getting navel gazier, Dan. Are you ready? <laughs> we love our own content. Oh, my it? goodness. So one of the first things that always comes to mind um, was in the lead up. Well, no, uh, probably about a year out from your wedding, we, we had our, well, at that time, your fiance, my wife. Uh, on the show for the first time for a Spider-Man Blue discussion. I really pushed to do this episode because I'm thinking to myself, Spider-Man Blue, it's such like a, a great, you know, book for people who don't really read Spider-Man comics because it's like kind of its own evergreen quality. I think you even described it as like, oh, this is the kind of comic I'd buy my mother or something. I think, I think that was your description of <laughs> Although it. Although it also ends with someone in negligee. That's so true. I'm not, well, I'm not necessarily sure about right, that. Well, fair. But, but the fact of the matter is, you know, we're like, oh, this is a great discussion. So for Valentine's Day, this 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 very loving story about how Peter and you know the flashback to Peter and Gwen Stacy and their relationship and their romance, and uh, we got to have um, both of our, our our dearly beloveds on with us, and yet that conversation didn't go quite as great as we hoped it would. <laughs> well, one of our fears was that like we would be dominating that conversation, but it became very clear very quickly that we were not going to get a word in edgewise, which was actually quite interesting because they really seemed to not like the story, although I think your wife gave it a little more credit than mine did. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it wasn't even so much about like or dislike, but I think, you know, certainly maybe the more polite way to say it was they found it problematic. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, in a way that I don't, I never really looked at that comic before. So, um, you know, I guess that's, you know, in terms of providing new insights and, and, and whatnot um, to the story, that was a, that was an interesting experience for certain. And then we had him on a year later in the build-up to your own wedding to talk about the wedding annual, Amazing Spider-Man number 21. Now that one, I don't, I don't think we had expectations of them liking, but that was a lot of fun having them, especially in light of your wedding coming up in a couple of months. Yeah, that was really great. And um, another one I wanted to talk about from our Essential series, because both of those were part of our Essential series, which we closed out, was that we talked about kind of Mary Jane's origin story with our now friend Alan Shurstall, which listeners might not like remember that one episode with Alan Shurstall, who's the film editor for The Village Voice, but Alan has kind of quickly become a good friend of ours through the show. The funny story about how I met Alan is that I was at UCLA getting my master's degree, and I was writing a paper about this movie called Sorcerer, which had been kind of rediscovered. It was a William Friedkin movie that came out after The Exorcist, and I loved this movie, and it was being kind of revalued you know, in the... 2010s or whatever and Alan was the first one to really kind of like break that bubble on uh, how great this movie was so I was writing a paper about it and I sent this guy I didn't even know an email saying I'd love to interview you about your review process for reevaluating this film and the email I got back was one line and it just said is this Dan from Spider Talk and I was like oh and of course you know me like the Hollywood Reporter I turned it into a gig writing for the Village Voice and before long, Alan and I became friends, and we had Alan on the show, and then before you know it, wedding-related, yeah. we had a bachelor party with you 
and me and Brian Jacob and Alan Churstall in New York. Yeah. Uh, well, we talked about a little bit about this with Brian earlier too. But I mean, yeah, it was pretty wild. I mean, there were wheat cakes and 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 sausage <laughs> and beer and really beautiful women in, in German beer garden attire, but all we could talk about were our damn comics and movies <laughs> and, and nerd things because, you know, we are who we are to, to you know, to, the, to our last breath, Dan. Um, but, uh, you know, it's funny, you know, you, you your connection to Alan also gave me a connection to Alan, and, you know, I've met Alan for lunch a couple of times because he's right in the city where I am, where, near where I work, and, and he's, he's, he's just a great personality, um, you know, just a wonderful person and have connected to the show you know as I mentioned in our segment with Brian I've always kind of I you know for the longest time I was always being a little reluctant to getting other voices onto the show unless they were a creator and you know certainly Brian helped break that wall down for me and Alan did as well in terms of um, you know just bringing in other people on who could provide insights I you know maybe I'm just protective of what you and I bring to the table Dan but I think I think I've learned uh, that, that other people can do it as well and in that vein you know the other person of course is our, our good friend uh, Zeke who you know he came on when we were doing the essential the uh, um, no one dies yeah. uh, issues and then shortly after that Zeke um, I get this email from Zeke hey I'm gonna be coming to New York for a week can we hang out so um, and it actually coincided with when um, my book had come out so I was doing a very informal release party, if you will, uh, near near where I live in Brooklyn uh, with some friends and family. Dan, sadly, you couldn't come out for that, but it's okay because you were about to get married a couple of weeks later. So <laughs> understandable. I was a little busy. Yeah, you're a little busy. And, you know, so Zeke, Zeke came out that week and we had lunch a couple times and then he came by the book signing. He got himself a book and then he wanted to buy a book because he was about to meet Dan Slott, writer of Amazing Spider-Man at the time for... Um, for a comic book signing and he wanted to have give a book to Dan Slott and get Dan Slott sign his book so I mean like I, I mean meeting Zeke in person he, he he's just just a wonderful person I mean my wife to this day talks about him non-stop about what a great guy he is and you're not gonna get away with this without telling the Zeke meeting Dan Slott story well uh, so yes yeah, so so let's 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 also so Zeke you know we we've you know we haven't made it it's no secret that we've wanted Dan Slott on Amazing Spider Talk for for years. I mean, and you know, it just hasn't worked out. And you know, we don't we don't necessarily have to get into the weeds of that. But um, Zeke said when he got the copy of the book, he was like, "Well, you know, I'll bring up I'll bring up the blog and I'll, I'll show him where he is in the book because there's a chapter in our in my book about dedicated all about Dan Slott." And I said, "Do what you want to do, Zeke. I don't think it's going to make a difference." And you know, I think Dan Slot's like chapter like sixty-three or sixty-four in the book or something because you know the the book is ranked one to a hundred in terms of you know critical importance to the Spider-Man mythos and all that. And you know, Zeke was like, "I'm going to have him sign his chapter." I'm like, "All right, do it." And he comes back and he tells me that apparently he gives Dan Slot the book and he, you know, Dan didn't know what the book was. Uh, and shows him where he is in the book and explains why he is where he's. And Dan Slot goes. I'm 64? That's all I am? Well, if you're going to put me in the 60s, at least make me 69 or something like that. That's a great anecdote. And it's like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I got to meet Zeke myself out in Los Angeles, and uh, that was really fun. And and I guess the people who don't know Zeke or Alan, the big takeaway is, like, it's great to make friends through the show. That's been a big boon for us. And even this weekend, we've made some new friends here at Mohegan Sun for Terrificon, and, and really that's the biggest and best part of doing the show. 
hold on, Dan. Speaking of friends, I think someone's about to uh, to buzz on in. I was not prepared for this. This is fake news. You put fear in front of me that you're going to get me buzzed and I'll just say whatever I want. Swarm, I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready for the, the live appearance of you. You were supposed to be in Mark's apartment and that's it. No collusion. <laughs> okay, well, there we go. This is terrible improv because I was not ready for that. Well, there you go. There you have it. Swarm, everyone. You know, speaking of Swarm, God, I hate to do that. Swarm made an appearance in the past 100. He, he started being a guest on our show. He retired Flash, or he went wherever Flash went to rehab, I'm guessing. Is, okay, well, you know. Is yeah. he dead now? You want me to bring him back, too? Because I can bring him back. Well, I mean, I thought he was killed. <laughs> That's true. Okay. All right. right well, rest in peace, Flash. There you go. <laughs> That's in canon for our show. <laughs> Flash is now dead. <laughs> but yes, yeah, Swarm made a delightful appearance. We had this awesome voting thing where we got to experience all kinds of different characters from Deb Whitman to Swarm to Lonesome Pinkus. In fact, I think I still have that song that Lonesome Pinkus sang for us. L let's, let's hear it, Lonesome. Oh, give me a word with a couple of nerds who sit there and talk spidey all day Her Uncle Ben's sage advice is awfully nice until he gets killed by a bird of prey Flash, Flash Thompson's reviews where the guest host drinks way too much booze Mark's bank account makes a claim that annuals don't count, and Dan gives him tons of abuse. Another really cool get that we got on the show in the past 100 episodes was obviously we've had John Semper Jr., who's become a friend of mine over the uh, past few years. Um, but he came back, and this time he brought along with him the voice of Spider-Man, Christopher Daniel Barnes, which was really neat because that's the voice I hear when I read Spider-Man. I think that's probably true for a lot of people who uh, you know, grew up watching television shows in the 90s, and he even recorded the coolest bumper for us. Well, spiders got to do what a spider's got to do, Dan. That, that is true. That is true of spiders. Another really great guest who's now kind of become a friend is Mark Guggenheim. Yeah, I mean, we, we got to talk a little bit with Mark this weekend, a bunch, and, and, you know, I mean, that, but that's all you, Dan. I mean, you, you, you know, you, you played your, your Hollywood connections and, 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 and turned that into a, a really good relationship there, too. So. Well, I'll tell you, it's all about persistence because when I was working at CBR, they wouldn't really let me come out of my cubicle because, well, that's best left said for another time. 
But I was leaving, and Mark Guggenheim was leaving at the same time as me, and I kind of bombarded him and was like, hey, I, uh, I know I work here at CBR, but I really have this other thing called the Amazing Spider Talk podcast. I would love it if you would come on and we could talk about your work on Spider-Man. And he was like, oh, I'm being bombarded right now, but but okay. And he invited me to the DC you know, Arrowverse writing studios where I got to go in and see all the writers and hang out in the writer's room. And he invited me into his office with all his toys and everything. And I got an interview with Mark Guggenheim right there in person, which is one of our first like real, like uh, non-convention in-person interviews. And ever since then, Mark has been a great supporter of the show. And, um, you know, you couldn't ask for a nicer guy. And, and that was really neat. Yeah. And then on the flip side of that, I think one of our other very memorable interviews over the last hundred episodes, not quite going to the DC studios in Hollywood uh, level of, of glamour here, but um, certainly one of the more memorable experiences, maybe on the back end in terms of the sausage making <laughs> end, was our interview with uh, Spider-Man artists, uh, Marvel Comics art, well, the CD, CD, comic book artist, uh, Ron Garney. Um, and Dan, how do you have any uh, succinct description of how of what the Ron Garney experience was? Well, I'll say this: what you hear on the show is never a raw feed. You know, like I I take these things and I chop them to bits sometimes, and really shape up some of these interviews and even our conversation, Mark, to kind of make it a little bit you know snappier and quick and fun and less full of ums, which I think everybody on the planet probably is thankful for although we're not that bad anymore we've certainly gotten better but um there i go uh ron garney was one of the more interesting interviews because ron garney i think was trying to play with the looseness of the format a little bit and the seriousness with which our show is conducted he would succinctly slip into other people's voices in the middle of the interview There's a famous bumper that he did for us, which sounds like he's dying, and I will play it right now. I've never played it on the show before. I'll play it here, and, and you can get a taste of what was going on behind the scenes. Hello, everybody. This is Ron Garney, and I drew Spider-Man. For Marvel Comics, and uh, uh, you're listening to the amazing Spider Talk. Hello, out there. This is Ron Garney. I drew the amazing Spider Man, and you're listening to the amazing Spider Talk. <laughs> Well, Dad, I won't be going to sleep tonight now. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other most fun interviews we've ever done was Howard Mackey and Terry Cavanaugh to talk about the much beloved slash maligned <laughs> clone saga. Um, it's one of those weird interviews because it's kind of universally like accepted that people don't like the clone saga for the most part. Yeah. And so how do you conduct that interview without being like, Hey, like, w we know that people don't like this because we try to, like, 
be fair to our opinions on stuff. Like we don't always glow about people's work, but when the base level of understanding is that people don't like this thing, you have to treat it with a different kind of like brush. And I think these two guys were the perfect guys to like take that kind of criticism. You want to get into that? Yeah. I mean, it, it was actually a really, it was one of my favorite interviews we've conducted on this show, Dan. And, and, you know, to be honest, like it kind of happened, you know, it was another one of those happenstance uh, situations for us. You know, I had, I had Facebook friended Howard Mackey and, you know, for various reasons was trying to get him on the show to talk about the clone saga. And, and, you know, his attitude was like, look, man, I've been talking about the clone saga for, almost 20 years now I don't know what else there is to say and you know I kind of kept needling him a little bit about it and he's like how about this uh, let's get let's get Terry Cavanaugh who was one of the other uh, writers who, who worked on on the books at the time uh, you know Terry and Howard are really close friends still in touch frequently he's like you know maybe maybe having Terry on will kind of bring some fresh fresh perspective to it and I think it did and it's it's one of those interviews that kind of gets past the negativity of the storyline for a bit and I felt really kind of peeled back the curtain about what it was working um, for Marvel at that time in the mid 90s when it was really a crazy time for the comic book industry because you got to consider I mean in addition to this crazy story that you know is is as you so politely said much maligned at this point in time I mean like you know Marvel few years later is going through a bankruptcy you had the comic book speculator bubble bursting that really impacted the industry you know things in terms of the publishing line and distribution you know stuff that's upended the industry that it's still kind of dealing with to this day and these two are talking about it in the context of spider-man comics and it just led this kind of raw honesty and sincerity um which and it's not to say that our other creator interviews don't have honesty and sincerity to it but you know, it, it, this this is to me like kind of, especially since this was a pivotal point in my own fandom. Like, kind of hearing you know what it was like behind the scenes at this time was really revealing to me, and and kind of really made me appreciate them both as creators, but also as human beings, which kind of plays into what we were talking about earlier in terms of you know dealing with people not just as legends or or whatever, but just as people. Yeah, one of the interesting things about that episode, and I think for a lot of the interviews, is that we often have to kind of um, put ourselves in the backseat as much as this episode is about us talking about ourselves, which is really unusual for us. That episode really worked because we really sat back and let them talk to each other, and I got the real sense that they worked through something about the Clone Saga with each other and kind of came to peace with what that story was in a lot of ways uh, in a way that I think they were having a revelation about it sorry revelation mm. uh, about it on the show and you know that's always great you know I love when we can get those moments that are unique to our show like say Nick Spencer and Steve Lieber talking for the first time uh, on our episode about superior foes one of the things that I think is really been interesting about the show is kind of how much it is like these interviews, a lot of the elements of the show are purely coincidental, how things work out. It's kind of like Slumdog Millionaire, where like the kid only can answer the questions because of something very, very specific that happened in his life. And there's been so many instances where we just so happened to manage to get the interview to happen because we just so happened to talk to the right person at the right time to facilitate the right thing. And for me, like 
the Ralph Bakshi interview was one of the most like strangely discovered interviews on our show. Like that only happened because I happened to teach his grandson in my film class and I recognized the last name and was like is your grandfather the animator Ralph Bakshi and he was like yeah how do you know him I'm like well I'm a big fan of his films not even thinking about the Spider-Man element of it and like minutes later it clicked to me oh my gosh he directed seasons two and three of the Spider-Man 67 TV show and so I probably like unprofessionally asked my student hey can you get me the email to your grandfather and he was like sure uh, and so like that like and then i did the we did the interview and i gave i sent it to my student and i was like you should listen to this interview with your grandfather and learn more about him because he had no idea of his grandfather's legacy mm. and actually this is i haven't said to you yet last week he emailed me this student and said I really want to start my own podcast now about my grandfather and his work. And so I, in a way it inspired him, but like this has been true for so many of our interviews and stuff that they wouldn't have happened if not for some random series of circumstances that allowed for it to occur. One of the things that I wanted to talk about is like favorite episode of the past 100 episodes. I think we've each chosen one uh, of our favorite episodes that we've done. Uh, do, you ha- do you want to start off? Which one was your favorite? Yeah, you know, I think one of probably there, there's a lot to talk of. Like I said, I really love the the Howard Mackey Terry Cavanaugh interview, and um, when we had Ryan Stegman back on a second time to talk about renew your vows, I thought that was a really worthwhile interview. But for me, and again, like, I, I feel like this kind of started the trend of what we were talking about of having people come on to talk about not necessarily their work, but just their relationship to comics and to other people who worked in comics. Uh, to kick off just our second season of of the the newly reformatted Amazing Spider Talk we had Jerry Conway come back on. I think this was his third or fourth visit his on the show. His fourth time. Yeah, so you know, certainly no stranger to the show. But to talk about John Romita and like I felt like you know, we, we tried to get, you know, just to peel back the curtain a bit again, we tried to get uh, Ramita on our show and we, we reached out through various outlets and basically um, the conclusion to that was that, you know, he wasn't looking to do interviews anymore and, you know, who can blame him? The guy's been in, been in the limelight for so long and now he's out of it and he probably wants to stay there and we get it, you know, like that's, I, I, don't, I, I don't take offense to that. Uh, as great as our show is, Dan, but um, you know Jerry was somebody who had worked with John on Amazing Spider-Man and at Marvel for over the years. You know, both as you know, I, I think he saw John as a bit of a mentor uh, in terms of you know. Again, Jerry was 18 when he started working on Amazing Spider-Man, so you know, to have someone like John Romita as your mentor, I'm sure would be great. And and kind of having Jerry on to bring those perspectives and talk about it, and to break down the myth element of it, and just talk about these people, you know this great creator as a human being i just had a lot of fun recording that episode i felt it was really just a great way to kick off the season uh and it's kind of stuff that i really have been striving to achieve in our show since yeah and i i feel the same way that was a great episode and and my favorite episode of the past 100 episodes is, is very similar and and it's funny that our favorite episodes have very little of us in it because i think really that you and i love learning about Spider-Man and when we're talking we're learning about each other and our feelings about Spider-Man and we've certainly done a lot of research that we want to communicate but when we have these people on we're really kind of getting the primo stuff you know Mm. and for me my favorite episode was the Ditko Shrugged episode from this 
or from last season, and where we really got into the details of who Dicko was as a person, as an artist. And we had our guest uh, Nick Caputo on that show and Ron Friends, longtime friend Ron Friends. And Nick Caputo was an incredible fountain of knowledge uh, about Dicko as a man. And to me, that was kind of the best that we do on this show is kind of, like you said, breaking them these people away from the myth and allowing the truth of who they actually are to come out. And if we don't know, not embellishing and creating something that we don't know about. It's saying, I don't know this about this person. And Dicko is certainly someone that you could kind of not really know. Mm. That's why I like wanted to do the tribute episode in kind of a broad fashion because I was like, none of us really know Dicko. So it's unfair of us to like really talk about him than other than how we experienced him, not who he was. Like, I don't know a ton about his political beliefs, and I've heard about it, but I can't really definitively say, uh, you know, even from the letter that I sent him. It gives me a brief window, but not really. But that episode really allowed us to get in, and the, then to balance his historical angle from Nick Caputo, I thought the Ron Friend stuff about his artistry was so full of heart and charm, everything we love Ron Friends for, but it... It really showed in as crystallized form as I could possibly find the impact that this man had on this community in a way that us as non-artists mm. can't possibly understand or communicate. And Ron put it the best way I've ever experienced. And so that episode to me was really a hallmark of our show and what we're doing with our new format. Absolutely. Well, that's about it for all of our reminiscing. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that in some, in some regard. Um, it's certainly been fun for us to kind of think back on the past three years uh, of the show. You know, obviously we asked for some of your feedback, but we'd still love to hear from you guys about what you, you, you think about the show and memories you've had that go alongside ours. One of the best things about the show, obviously, is all of our amazing uh, interviews, uh, and we got a ton of them here at Mohegan Sun for Terrificon this weekend, right, Mark? Absolutely. I mean, these are creators past and present, and some some people that surprised us and how they wanted to talk to us, and some people that, you know, I think in the moment we didn't even realize we were going to be talking to you to, uh, over the last two days. So, Dan, I mean, why don't we just let these creators go at it um, and, 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 you know... Just let our listeners just relish in that. Well, thank you again, everybody, for supporting us the past 100 episodes. We'll be back at the end of the episode, but enjoy these uh, interviews. All right, Dan. So we got through the real introspective period of the show. So hopefully everyone's still with us. <laughs> or maybe you just skipped ahead in 15-second increments on your iPod, listener. Uh, iPod. Whoa, who has an iPod uh, on your iPhone or listening device? So let's now get to some of the other great content we got at Terrificon. Uh, Dan, it's worth noting that uh, none of this would have been possible uh, without the support of uh, Mitch Halleck and the Terrificon crew for providing us with uh, the press passes we needed uh, for access into the show. It allowed us to, to talk to these creators. Uh, thanks again, Mitch and Terrificon for all of your help. And also for lining up such an amazing gallery of Spider-Man creators. Yes, uh, uh, Mitch is definitely uh, a big Spider-Man fan. He admitted as much, and, and certainly the guest list uh, showed it. I mean, unfortunately, we couldn't talk to every single creator we wanted to, um, but you know, we certainly got some good names on, on tap here from uh, Spider-Man history. Uh, and we're actually going to kick things off with 
the most recent addition. And, and this kind of came out of nowhere our first day at the con, Dan. I mean, you know, we've been chit-chatting with the current Amazing Spider-Man scribe Nick Spencer about trying to get a one-on-one uh, -on -one, or I guess a one-on-two interview uh, for the show. And uh, we knew he was going to be at this event and there were some concerns that, uh, you know, in the, the, in the context of a con, it probably wouldn't be great to do a big interview. Um, but uh, we got there on, on the first Friday that we were there and, and Nick had a bit of a lull at his table. So uh, while this may not be the, the, the big deep dive that we still hope to get at some point, I would say that this, is, this was a pretty good uh, scratch at the surface of what's been going on with Amazing Spider-Man the last few months. So uh, let's, let's get right into Nick Spencer. So we're on the floor at uh, Terrificon here at the Mohican Sun Convention Center, and we are here with uh, the Amazing Spider-Man's newest ongoing writer, Nick Spencer. Nick, thank you so much for joining us here. Guys, thanks for having me. Nick, how crazy is it to hear that you are the writer of Amazing Spider-Man? I'm sure I'm not the first person to tell you, but what was it like to, to kind of facilitate that process of picking up that role? How long was it in the works? And tell us more about your feelings about getting that spot. Uh, yeah, it's definitely still taking some getting used to. It's a little surreal whenever you hear it, hear somebody say it back to you. So, but uh, but I'm loving it. I, the in terms of how it happened, uh, Axel Alonso gave me a call back as I was wrapping up on Captain America, and we just had a conversation about what I'd be interested in doing next. And you know, he mentioned a few possibilities. One of them was the Amazing Spider-Man. I was like, I'm just going to stop you right there. That's all I'm interested in doing. Uh, thanks for all the other offers, but uh, you know that's that's my dream job. That's that's the book that I, I really want to do. You know, when I had first signed at Marvel, uh, you know, I guess about seven eight years ago, I had dinner with C.B. Sabolsky, who was in charge of talent management at the time, and he said, "You know, what do you want to do at Marvel?" And usually, usually, like when you're starting out, you say, "Well, you know, I'd like to do a, I don't know, a cloak and dagger mini or a Nick Fury mini." You know, you 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 you, you think small and and humble and and you know uh, something nobody's doing. And I I told CB, I said, you know, I want to write Spider-Man. That's 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 why I'm here. So you know, years later, to have this opportunity and and to be able to actually do it, to be able to write this book that you know is is really you know, what I've always wanted to write my entire career is, it's a huge thrill. It's a big honor. I mean, in addition to, obviously, Amazing Spider-Man, it's one of the, you know, flagship books of the Marvel publishing line, but, you know, you, you come after, you know, a very significant creator run in terms of Dan Slott. So, despite the fact that this was what you've longed for for so long, I mean, how was it kind of transitioning from Dan Slott, who really took the character in some really creative and crazy directions to be coming in and being like all right what am i gonna do with this character now i mean yeah i mean look i i am so in awe of what dan has accomplished on on this book i mean you know to have written i believe it's 600 700 and 800 uh are all dan slot comics you know it's it's unprecedented uh it's it's unheard of in this day and age for a creator to have a run like that it's it's just a testament to what a fantastic writer he is and and how great a fit he was for the book you know and he was so wonderful to me during the transition and and uh you know he knows i'm a big admirer of his stuff and he said some very kind stuff about my work so uh so it was a 
pretty easy handover. Once once you have the book, you know, I, I don't really think that much ab- about that anymore than I think about, you know, Stan's run or Roger Stern's run or anybody's run, you know, like like if if you were looking for a book that hasn't, you know, that, that, that doesn't come with pressure, this isn't this isn't the one. You know, there have been a lot of great writers with seminal runs on this book. So, you know, it's just it's just very cool to be a part of that. And, and it's an honor to follow in those guys footsteps. When we have a little more time, I definitely want to dive into the transition a bit more. But one of the things that I heard was that you went back and reread every Spider-Man comic, or at least something to that manner. I guess I'm curious, well, there's a lot of questions I have about that, but I guess the most basic one I could ask is, what were the biggest things you gleamed from going through a run of that size? Well, first off, I'm so embarrassed by that, generally, because, you know, it's it's very true. I mean, I spent months and months uh, doing nothing but reading Spider-Man comics for work, and, uh, you know, that's a pretty great gig. But, you know, uh, people have mentioned that a lot, and I, I, should, I, can, I should really point out, uh, you know, despite reading all that stuff, if we were playing Spider-Man trivia, Dan Slott would beat me, you know, three times a day. I, I'm, not, I'm not surprised. <laughs> uh, you know, so I, I don't mean to pass myself off as, as the world's new reigning expert on all things Spidey. Uh, and, and it's fun because now I come to shows and stuff and people are constantly trying to trip me up. They're like, hey, did you read this one? Or did you, did you, you know, and uh, uh, sometimes I have, sometimes I haven't. But, you know, uh, Marvel Unlimited is such a fantastic resource now that, you know, uh, you can tear through a lot very easily and very quickly. Is that the primary resource for a Marvel writer or do they give you, like, access to some, like, Indiana Jones-esque archives? They'll give you uh, whatever you ask for, but really Unlimited's gotten to the point where it has most of it. So, you know, other than some gaps here and there, uh, which, you know, I, I also, you know, like, like, bought up all the essentials and everything so like uh uh you know any gaps that there were in like spectacular or web of or team up i had those in black and white as well so i could jump back and forth on those and but then you know there were a lot of of smaller shorter series as well and unlimited's just great for that that you know you don't have to worry about the thing being in, in print or whatever uh so yeah so I, I i read a lot you know that was the luxury of this job was that i had a lot of time to plan and a lot of time to research you know and it definitely has uh, served us well so far i think nick not to get too into the weeds on what you've done so far with the character but i mean it's kind of been on our minds since reading issue one considering that mary jane and peter together has kind of been the third rail of spider-man comics for the better part of a decade what kind of voodoo curse did you put on marvel editorial to be able to do what you've done so far with them marvel editorial were really supportive from the start i you know uh i've told this story before but really how it happened is i had turned in an outline for the first issue and i had pitched the first issue in the room at one of our retreats everybody had really loved it and as it was getting time to get to scripting uh, I was really nervous about it. It, it. it felt good, but it felt like something was missing. Uh, you know, it, it, I like to open big. I, I, I like to have, you know, first issues that make people sit up and, and talk about the book. And it, 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 so, you know, I really, I felt like something wasn't there, that we needed one more beat. And I had dinner with uh, Joe Casada and uh, uh, in Los Angeles. And... Uh, I sat down with Joe, and we were talking about a variety of things, and it was kind of roundabout. It wasn't really just trying to solve this problem. But, you know, Joe was talking about kind of the the response and reaction, obviously, to, to, to One More Day. You know, Joe said, you know, people think that I'm anti, 
Peter and MJ, and that's not true at all. You know, we we undid the marriage, but we never said that they couldn't be uh, back together. And I'd heard that publicly and stuff, but I still just wasn't sure if, you know, if you actually pitched doing it, how receptive they would be to the idea. Uh, But Joe was all for it. And, uh, you know, so was Nick Lowe and and C.B. Sobolski. Everybody was really excited about it. And once we locked that into the first issue, I, I really felt like we had it. And, you know, look, it's 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 a funny thing. I've I've obviously written stories that, you know, make people very happy. And I've written stories that make people very angry. And it, what you realize is that all of it's part of the same job, that, that uh, you know, telling good stories means that sometimes bad things happen to characters and it means sometimes good things happen to the characters. And, uh, you know, keeping people on that roller coaster is really what we do. And uh, so, you know, it was nice to get to do a big surprise that made the fans happy. Uh, you know, that is that is a cool thing. Uh, you know, those are hard to find, I think. But, you know, it's it's still a Spider-Man book, you know. Like, there's still a lot of story to be told. And, and uh, uh, you know, life's not going to get, you know, easy for Peter. But, you know, on, on this front, you know, it's uh, uh, it's it's cool to have a, a, a piece of the puzzle that, that uh, you know, the fans seem to have reacted positively to. There's so many questions I want to ask you about this Mary Jane thing but i'm going to save for another time including some harebrained theories that i have about this <laughs> man in a trench coat with wraps all over him uh, which i'm sure the result will be is e- maybe equally harebrained as my theories. pretty mysterious <laughs> okay la- one last question amongst a um, hundred other i want to ask but uh you know we run a, a fan podcast for spider-man and you know one of the things that has always been a goal of ours is to kind of help fan relationships between the fans and the creators and it's something that you know I know that you've personally dealt with I want to know what can we do as uh, fans to kind of help facilitate your process or the community what do you think the Spider-Man community could use a little bit more of I guess well I think it's the same thing with any character but you know uh, I think with Spidey you're talking about an especially passionate fan base Uh, you know I think that that like I was saying before I think really the key is understanding that part of our job is introducing conflict and adversity into these characters' lives, that it it can't always be happy endings for the characters. And what I see more and more of uh, in fandom is is creators being personally uh, targeted and attacked whenever they do something to a character that, 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 that people are fond of. And uh, that makes me really sad. I, 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 you know, that, that's not how it should be. So, you know, I think any, any, any efforts to push back on that kind of thing, on, on the kind of personalization of outrage uh, in terms of what happens to these characters is, is, I think, a welcome thing. You know, the, the reality is we really are all fans of these characters, all of us that write these stories, uh, you know, that I've genuinely never met, uh, uh, you know, a superhero comics writer that couldn't talk your ear off about superheroes and, and, and about the characters that they're writing, you know. Um, and it makes me a little sad that I, I think that there's an assumption that there's no way that we could love these characters as much uh, as the fans because then how would we cast them in a, in a less than flattering light or how would we, you know, let something bad happen to the characters? And, you know, that's just kind of the endless push and pull of it. But, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, it is a sign of, of what we've built and, you know, how passionate uh, people are uh, about these books. And that's a good thing. Great. Thank you so much for, for being on our show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Thank you so much. 
All right, Mark, this next guest, I'm going to let you really explain because this has kind of been your white whale for such a long time. And, uh, you know, I think we haven't really talked about it, maybe even in the past 100 episodes of the show, because it was a topic that you and I thought would never happen and was kind of putting it to rest. But I think the minute we saw this guest lineup at this convention, we had one goal in our minds. You know, I think most people would think, oh, that would be Nick Spencer. But I think for both of us, this interview that I still have a hard time believing that we got, if it weren't for the audio files on my computer, why don't you talk about who this person is and why this is such a special thing to you? Yeah, well, well, Dan, I mean, every, anyone who's been listening to us since close to the beginning, I mean, certainly since we released a wave of interviews from Connecticut, before it was Terrificon, it was Connecticut Comic Con five years ago, knows that I have a bit of an obsession with the original Hobgoblin story from the 1980s and how the reveal of the character as Ned Leeds was pretty much botched, <laughs> I would say. Um, and, you know, over the years, I've, we've talked to Jim Salakrup about it. We've talked to Tom DeFalco. We've talked to Ron Friends. I've emailed, interviewed Roger Stern, on and on and on. But the one person that I was never able to talk to about it was the Spider book editor at the time, Jim Owsley. Now, Jim Owsley uh, does, has not gone by that name in a number of years. He's best known today as Christopher Priest, who people who have followed the Black Panther franchise might know. Priest had a very historic run writing Black Panther for Marvel in the early 2000s. And uh, since the movie came out uh, earlier this year, it's kind of uh, been closely associated with the character, so much so that even his business cards uh, have the the movie Black Panther on it. As it stands, so we saw Christopher Priest on this guest list. And I, I think it's also worth noting, Dan, that uh, Christopher uh, has a blog. Uh, Chris, I think it's ChristopherPriest.com or something to that effect. And on that blog, he has this article. And, and Dan, do you want to say what that article, ha- what the title of that article is? The article is called Why I Don't Talk About Spider-Man. Yeah, and, and I mean, and for the record, I mean, the Hobgoblin botched reveal is kind of just, you know, it's, it's, it's a symptom, not a cause. But when Christopher Priest was Jim Owsley in, in the 80s, he was a young editor at Marvel. Uh, he was considered uh, a rising talent uh, by Marvel's editor-in-chief, Jim Shooter. And rather than kind of let Jim work his way up through the ranks, he made him the editor of Marvel's flagship books at the time under the guise that, you know, he was going to be working alongside guys like Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends, you know, real pros, pros who knew the industry and could kind of, you know, all grow and work together and make this thing happen. And uh, as as story has it and as, as Priest kind of admits in his own blog, you know, he was not up to the task that, uh, you know, he was, uh, you know kind of in over his head and you know he had some some issues managing the talent he you know he clashed with many of the creators he clashed specifically with defalco and friends uh during their run on amazing at the time when they were trying to kind of work on that reveal of the hobgoblin i mean they were intending for the hobgoblin to be revealed as um richard fisk the son of the kingpin apparently like there are stories out there that there was stuff being cut out on the cutting room floor and then in the famously in the Spider-Man vs. Wolverine one-shot, Priest killed off 
Ned Leeds because he thought DeFalco was going to reveal Ned Leeds as the Hobgoblin. And he just wanted to piss DeFalco off by doing it. Uh, this this so, is the legend, by the way. Like, everybody has is, a different take. This is the legend, but we have people on our show. Like, you can go back to the Peter David interview from New York Comic Con, and, and Peter paraphrases his conversation with Priest, where Priest basically tells him, I want to piss Tom DeFalco off. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's very fascinating. So we saw Priest was going to be on this guest list. And then Dan, in a kind of serendipitous moment, a couple of weeks before the show happened, uh, we got a look at the spider solicits. And I believe you, you tweeted it out to me. And what was that tweet, Dan? I think I, I texted you, Mark. I'm about to blow your mind. And I sent you the Spider-Force, you know, solicit this new book. Christopher Priest is writing a Spider-Man book. This is our in. Yes. So, you know, we went into Terrificon with a very definitive strategy. You know, we wanted to talk to the man who said, I don't talk about Spider-Man anymore. So let's at least start, start it off by talking about his new book about Spider-Man. And if things seem to be going well... We could start asking him about 80 Spider-Man. And, well, you can judge for yourselves how the interview went, everyone. We're here again on the floor of Terrificon here at Mohegan Sun. Um, and we are here with Christopher Priest, who probably is, is best known for his work with Black Panther. But, you know, since we are the Spider-Man podcast, we're, we're going we're gonna to grill him about his, his history with Spider-Man. But why don't we, we start with the newest material, Christopher. Um, we, we saw that you are, you are attached to, a, a, I guess it's a limited series that's coming out in a couple of months. Uh, An extremely limited series, <laughs> and thank God for that. <laughs> okay, so, so Spider-Force is the name of it, I believe. And I, I'm just curious, so how, how, did, how did this come about? What's, what's, what's going on, and what can you tell us about the book? I couldn't tell you how it came about, uh, other than that uh, I had been, I was snuck into the uh, Marvel Writers Conference. Joe Quesada, I was hanging out with Joe Quesada in New York City. And Joe says, hey, let's go over to Marvel. They're having the big secret, the big super secret uh, uh, conference. So he brought me up there, and I'm in this room full of Marvel writers uh, and editors, and they're all looking at me like, what's he doing here? You know, so it's like, you know, 50 white guys and me, you know. And then Tanahasi showed up, so I felt better. So <laughs> there was, you know, two of us there. So I think, you know, just me showing up at Marvel when I've been at DC for so long, sparked some interest and when people kind of realize oh he's not exclusive to dc I, i've never been exclusive to dc uh okay well why not do something up here i don't know so anyway a week or two later i got a call and and he said uh thus and so and uh i had no idea what he was talking about he was talking about something called uh spider verse and they were doing a sequel to spider verse and i went well, what's spider verse and we went out to dinner. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm talking like an idiot now. We went out to dinner with the, with the group, and, and I met this guy named Dan Slott. And Dan Slott sat down next to me and for like the next hour told me the history of everything I've missed since I left Spider-Man, which was a lot. The whole Scarlet, uh, the, the, the Superior Spider, the Scarlet Spider, the, the Aunt May Spider, you know, and all this stuff. And I was like, this is insane, you know. And then I learned about the, the Spider, uh, 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 spider uh, uh, verse, you know, and, and all these different characters. And I was just getting dizzy. But anyway, they asked me to do this, and foolishly I said yes. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's fun, it's interesting, it's just 
I got a lot of catching up to do, fellas. It's been 20 years. Yeah. And uh, uh, learning who, you know, and they, they got to, who are these characters, you know, and, and why? And, you know, and, and, and Doc Ock, and it's been very strange. So. Well, we were very pleased to see that. Like, the minute I saw the solicit with your name on it, I texted him and I said, I'm about to blow your mind. Christopher Priest is writing a Spider-Man book. Do, do, you, do you see this as, like, a, uh, an opportunity to a return in a larger way for you to Marvel? Oh, I don't know. You know, uh, we'll have to see. Uh, uh, it's, it's nice to be back on the block again, certainly. But I've been doing, you know, I, I, did, I did the Inhumans once in Future King. I did that for them last year. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm doing little things off and on with them. Uh, there's some other stuff coming up that I can't uh, discuss right now. But, you know, uh, you know it, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't make any sweeping proclamations about a return to Marvel. I, I don't know. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how it goes. Cool. Well, well, more more focused on on Spider Man. I mean, I'm I'm curious. I mean, what's it like for you to be returning to this character? Like you said, I mean, you were you were a group editor in what was it the 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 80s, right? For, yeah. And you know, I'm just curious. What was it like for you to kind of go back to this character? I know there there you know I've 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 looked in I've looked into your time at Marvel. I know like on your website you have some stuff about your your time as group editor and. I, just curious, is, was was this kind of mixed emotions, or are you just ready to just dive back in and, and, and tackle this character again? It was mostly just bewilderment and confusion. <laughs> okay. Because it's not Peter, you know. And yeah. if, if it was Peter, I'd have to go to spider school. And I told the editor, uh, Nick Lowe, I told him, you got to take me to spider school because the, the character's changed so much and been through so much. And last time I looked, he was married, and now he's not married, and and, and Mephisto, and, and uh, you know, it, there's a lot. You know, I, I've missed a lot. So it, it's it's a real challenge, and it's it's very daunting because so much has transpired between then and now. So I don't really feel like I'm, I'm really returning to Spider-Man per se because all these characters that are in Spider-Force are very different. Peter is not in this book. So the, these are very different characters and uh, a very different experience, including two characters that I'm creating from the ground up. Well, I mean, I know when you were group editor, so go, you know, looking at the time you're familiar with <laughs> in terms of the character, you know, one of like kind of your, your hallmarks as, as editor was that the three books at the time, you know, from our understanding, we've talked to Peter David and, and Tom and Tom Falcon and Ron Friends, you know, they were meant to be like different kind of tones and personalities, you know, Webb exactly. was kind of, so, I mean, what, what was kind of your, 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 I guess your approach to that, and do you feel like ultimately those books like achieved the vision you wanted them to achieve during that time? Uh, for for better or for worse, uh, uh, the the problem was that you know you have a monthly deadline, so you make stuff as good as you can by that date. It's that simple. So you, you make your, you do your best effort. Uh, we had a mandate from uh, uh, the uh, publishing arm to publish three times a month, three uh, three Spider-Man titles a month, plus specials and so forth like that. So I felt like my task was to model the creative to fit that profile. And I said, okay, well, if we're going to be doing these three spider books, let's make them distinctive enough that we give the reader, the fan, a reason to pick up all three. So uh, the, the, the Amazing Spider-Man was our anchor book. Tom DeFalco was our main writer, our lead writer. So, so Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends, uh, Joe Rubenstein, that was our anchor team. So... 
we're going to follow where Tom leads. Uh, there was no one better at it than those three people uh, working on that book, and Joe Rosen with the letterer and so forth. So for Peter Parker, I wanted a completely different tone. And, and how do we distinguish that? So in, in the Peter Parker book, he most, that, that, those stories took place mostly at night, and for the most part he wore the black costume, while in Amazing he wore the traditional costume. And then in Web of Spider-Man, all that stuff took place out of town. He was always out of town somewhere. So he was, those were fish-out-of-water stories uh, and uh, done by Mark Silvestri and uh, David Michelinie. So, you know, you know, for a while I thought we had, you know, the, the dream team working on, this, on, on the franchise and, and that we distinguished the three titles from each other and gave people a reason to pick up all three rather than just make it Spider-Man Weekly and force people to pick up all of them. And kind of in the same vein at that time. Now, the listeners of our show are going to, you know, probably ask, laugh as I ask you this question. I have a bit of an obsession with the Hobgoblin story and how that culminated over that time. And I'm curious, you know, I've talked to various people who've been involved with it because it kind of came to a head during that era there. Do you, do you have any recollection of what was going on with that character at that point? Because, you know, everyone seems to say, I had a different idea and I wanted it to be this person and I was going to do this and then this happened and this, I was unable to do that with this character. Do you remember what you wanted, what you thought was the direction for the character and where you wanted it to go? Or was what happened ultimately with Ned Lee that you thought what was your... Well, no, there's, there's a couple of points in my life, in my professional career, where something I had written was taken out of context and used for the exact opposite purpose for which it was intended. For example, detouring the Black Panther for a second, I wrote this, this bit of business between Black Panther and Storm where they knew each other's kids and uh, writing off of uh, Chris Claremont's uh, story from some time before. And the whole point of their relationship was that these two people would never get together. But they would be like this, this, this love that could never really happen because if it did, it wouldn't work. And then when I left the book, the first thing I did was marry him. Right. So in Spider-Man versus Wolverine, that's exactly what I did. The whole point of the, the, the B story in Spider-Man Wolverine was, you know, here's why Mary Jane and Peter Parker must never marry. And that was the, the B story there. And that motivated Peter to take the job and go out of town and get involved with all this stuff in Berlin. And then, of course, I left the company. Uh, I left editorial anyway. And uh, uh, immediately after that, they used that as an excuse to, to, to marry them. And I said, well, no, that's not what, go back, read that story. That's not what that story says. Okay. So now we got Hobgoblin. And in that same book in Spider-Man Wolverine, we had Ned Leeds apparently, Ned Leeds is killed off panel in that book. And then after the fact, somebody else decided that Ned was the Hobgoblin. Ned was never the Hobgoblin. Okay, I was the editor. I didn't know who the Hobgoblin is. The only guy who knew who the Hobgoblin is is down at the end of this row here. His name is Roger Stern. <laughs> Roger Stern was the only guy who knew who Hobgoblin was, and I never intended for Ned Leeds to be the Hobgoblin, and I want to go on record with that, sir, because I'm being blamed with that. And, and in fact, Roger was furious with me for a long time, and I went, I didn't do – my name's not on that book. Okay, I was long gone. Somebody pulled the, pulled the trigger on that. And that wasn't me. Ned was never supposed to be Hobby. At the time, it was so much fun playing the guessing game, and they played it so well. So all I did, all Tom DeFalco did, I don't think Tom knew either. 
I think all we did was kind of run stuff by Roger so we don't accidentally step on who the real Hobgoblin was. You know, and as long as we got a thumbs up through, you know, through people who actually did know, then we just played the game. But that's not how I wanted it to end. And uh, it's been more than, more than once where some large happening in continuity has taken place when my story was actually the exact opposite of uh, what that was supposed to be. It took over a decade for Roger to come back and really clear it all up. Were you aware of any more immediate plans to clear up and demystify the, the, the person under that mask? Oh, no. I, I, you know, I, you know I, I think you know, once I you know, stepped away from the Spider-Man universe as either editor or writer, I just stopped paying attention. And then I was out of comics for a long time. Because I wasn't being offered any of this stuff. And I was like, well, why am I keeping up with continuity on Superman or Batman or Spider-Man for that matter if I'm not going to be offered that work? And if, if every time I turn around, the companies are invalidating the continuity anyway and they're just going to reboot every couple of years, why follow this stuff? You know, so I, I just I, I had no idea, you know, how they ultimately resolve that or, or, or what happened after that. Yeah, I know you mentioned with with Spider Force that it's you know you you needed a, a Spider Man uh, kind of uh, history lesson, so to speak, since since you you left the books. Um, but you know you you obviously you're not a writer who very on a character in his universe, and you know if you were I guess you were ever to fully get the history uh, of Spider Man of everything that's happened and since you left, would you do you have any desire to? Make a stamp on that character again, or, or you know, similar to like what you did with Black Panther. I mean, just kind of, I don't know. So that Christopher Priest is really associated as much with Spider-Man as he is Black Panther. Do you think you're you interested? Or I, I had dinner with Dan Slott, and, and when Dan kind of walked me through in a brilliant way, just like a Reader's Digest version of all this stuff, I just looked at him, and I just I wanted to quit comics forever. <laughs> because, first of all, I think Dan is brilliant. The stuff this guy came up with. I don't know him personally. I just met him for the first time. And I went, oh, man. Oh, man, that is so brilliant. I, I would have I, I looked at him, I would have never thought that up. That whole superior Spider-Man thing was just freaking brilliant. It's cool. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I, I just, I just want to leave the country now. I, I don't, you know. <laughs> No, no. I, I get asked about Black Panther as well. I'm like, Black Panther now belongs to a new generation of writers, and God bless them, you know. Uh, and I wouldn't want to come back and compete with myself or, no, nah, no. Nah, no, give me uh, Howard the Duck or something and let's, <laughs> let's move on. Was it thrilling to see so much of your invention on Black Panther on the big screen? It was a very emotional moment for me, yeah. I, I, was, I was a little speechless, uh, but beyond that, uh, my personal involvement, I was very happy for Don McGregor, uh, who created so much of that infrastructure. I was happy for ta obviously, but, you know, he's already incredibly successful, so to hell with him, <laughs> you know. But, uh, and then it's difficult to explain, but for, for most of the African-American friends that I have, uh, there's this scene where they arrive in Wakanda for the first time and they, they're, they're doing the flyover and you see these huts and so forth and then the hologram fades revealing Wakanda and the music and that visual, it was, uh, it was tantamount to a religious moment where I just, my eyes welled up with tears and I almost lost it because 
finally we're seeing us in this sort of broad spectrum and uh, uh, and it's not like a bunch of gangsta stuff, you know, or, or that kind of thing. It's a it's a very positive thing. I think it's got to be like the largest budget, the biggest budget movie ever made with a largely black cast. So it was just an overwhelming and deeply moving moment, not just for me as the as a writer or a co-creator, but as a as a person, as an African American. I was I was really just so pleased with it, and I, I expressed that to uh, Ryan Coogler when I had the pleasure of meeting him. He's the nicest guy too. I got to meet him a few years ago, and I, what a great guy! Yeah, but you'd never know that he's like this incredibly successful movie director. You just think he's some dude. He's like, "What's up?" You know? <laughs> he has a very casual way of speaking. Yeah, exactly. he's very down to earth. Yeah, exactly. But he's but he's also very down to earth. You know, yeah. he's like, you know, I'm sure, you know, Ryan is out there wandering the streets somewhere, hanging out. And you don't even know that's Ryan Coogler. He's a superhero. Yeah. Well, now he's getting a little too much profile, so people are starting to recognize him on the street. You know, but I've hung out with, like, Reginald Hudlin, who is incredibly successful and, and, and you know, and, 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 and so forth. But he's not a person that you would that the average person on the street would actually recognize. So he, he's out with his kids walking around and doing whatever he's doing. But I'm like, hey, that, this, this is the guy that directed the Academy Awards last year, you know. <laughs> Well, you just made his day, maybe year. Uh, thanks so much for talking to us. Uh, is there any place that people can find you, follow your work on the Internet, maybe something like well, that? Well, you can try. I'm a, uh, I have a website, ChristopherPriest.com. Uh, I'm, I'm so busy, I'm almost never on it, uh, that there's a blog there. Uh, but I, I eschew, uh, uh, eschew uh, uh, social media. I run like the plague, so I, I'm, you're not going to find me on Facebook or any place like that. It's probably a wise decision. <laughs> uh, yeah, I want to stay out of trouble, yeah. so, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, I do have a website up there, and there's a blog there, and I try to show up whenever I have time to do it. Thank you so much. Thank you. So that was an amazing interview that, again, I guess I still can't believe. If, if you're he- listening to this episode and it just goes blank for like 15 minutes you know that mark and i just dreamed this whole thing up but i hope that you heard a christopher priest interview in that segment absolutely i mean and and again i mean i i think it pretty much comes across in the interview dan but it's worth noting could not have met a nicer guy and it just goes to show that sometimes you just got to ask. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the funny enough, we walked over to Ron Friends later at the uh, convention after we had announced that we had done this interview and he had a bone to pick with us. Yes. Yeah. But, um, you know, uh, I'm assuming Ron was just was just joshing. So. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so next up, we've got another kind of classic Spider-Man artist uh known for i guess at least with us a very particular issue of the comic and that's bob mcleod who before the interview we got chit-chatting and wanted to kind of familiarize ourselves and i had mentioned how much i loved seeing a reference to his artwork from the commuter cometh which is amazing spider-man number 267 and our seventh essentials comic that we submitted for the our essentials list um, how much I love seeing a reference to that book in Spider-Man Homecoming. And he admitted he had never seen Spider-Man Homecoming, which to me was a bit of a special moment in that, like, here's this, you know, amazing artist, not even realizing that his art had been translated into the big screen. So 
to me, that's kind of all you need to know going into this interview. The commuter cometh. We're going to get talking to the guy who drew the darn thing, Bob McCloud. So we're here again at uh, Terrificon at Mohican Sun here in Connecticut, uh, to, about to interview Bob McLeod, who um, is uh, obviously a very legendary uh, artist uh, for a number of, number of comics over the years, but he also uh, spent some time uh, on Spider-Man in a number of capacities, pencils and inks, right, Bob? Yeah. Yep. Um, and, you know, obviously, like I said, you've done a number of issues, but... Uh, a personal favorite uh, of Dan and mine is the uh, the commuter cometh issue that you did with Peter David uh, in the, in the 80s. Uh, we actually did uh, an essential Spider-Man uh, review uh, a number of years ago, and the commuter cometh made it. it was voted in by our our listeners as as one of the essential Spider-Man stories, which is kind of interesting because it's such a unique story uh, versus your more traditional Spider-Man stories. So, it's kind of wanted to test your your recall a bit. And you know, first of all, do, do you do you remember getting that script from Peter, like how did how did that how did it come about to get you on that issue? You know, I'm not sure. I had done a number of uh, fill-in issues on Spider-Man, the various titles of Spider-Man, and I'm not sure why that one. Maybe I was just around the office at the time that came up. I'm glad I was because I originally wanted to be a humor artist, and that was kind of a funny story. And so it's really actually my favorite Spider-Man story. So I was, you know very happy to be working on that issue sounds like a perfect fit what kind of things did you and peter discuss when kind of like breaking down the visuals to that story how were you guys how did you decide to approach it uh from like a visual standpoint as opposed to maybe doing something more traditional did you think that was just all up to me uh he wrote the script gave me the script and all of the visuals were just totally up to me. He didn't give me any uh, direction specifically, um, but he did ask me to draw his daughter in it. She's the little girl on the big wheel, and he gave me a photo of her to work from. I'm guessing that's probably a common request from writers to kind of fit people in it? No, I've never had that before from a writer. I've drawn various people into the comics before, but uh, not by request. Oh, interesting. Well, I mean, you, you mentioned, obviously, it's a favorite story of yours, and there's just a number of great visual gags in that comic. Uh, do, you, do you have one that stands out to you as a favorite of yours, or I mean, can, is it like picking your favorite child? I mean, how does that work? <laughs> you mean from that issue or yeah, during from, my career? Yeah. Um, I love the scene with the Doberman where he webs up the Doberman's mouth. That was fun to do. You know, the leaping into the tree, the couple arguing. There's a lot of scenes in that that I really like. The whole issue was fun. You, you expressed to us earlier before you recorded that you hadn't seen the Spider-Man Homecoming movie. Right. Um, I think, I don't want to speak for you, Mark, but my favorite gag in the comic is him firing his web into nothingness where there's <laughs> yeah. no building. Yeah. Um, in the movie, he goes to a golf course when he's on a chase with the vulture and does the exact same okay. thing with the okay. web firing into nothing. And it's like, oh my goodness, I, I, I'm excited to tell you that... <laughs> Your your joke made it into the movie, but I have to ask, was that your joke, something you designed, or was that Peter David? No, that was in the script. Yeah, that was in the script. Uh, you know, he's a funny writer. He's, he's got a good sense of humor. I think everything like that was probably in the script. I don't, I don't remember making up any jokes of my own, just interpreting the script in a humorous way. Yeah. He told me, I, it's been a long time ago, but I, my memory is that he told me to have fun with it. Cool. 
I mean, obviously, as you mentioned, you, 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 you filled in a lot on issues over the years. You know, I'm curious, I mean, were, were you ever, did you ever, looking back, kind of wish you had more of a sustained run with the character? I mean, do, do you have, I mean, you're known, obviously, for a lot of the X-Universe uh, material. Uh, you know, Spider-Man is obviously a little different than, than the X-Men. X-Men probably, in some ways, more popular than Spider-Man, at least uh, while you were working on them. I mean, did, did you know, did you wish you could have done a little more with Spider-Man, or did you just get enough for yourself? No, I would have loved to. He's one of my favorites. Um, I, ho I like the whole crew there, you know, Jonah Jameson and, and MJ and all that. My interest in, in drawing comics was the characters rather than the battles and all the superheroics and all that stuff. Um, like I say, my, my background is more with humor, and I like the people interacting is, is where I had my fun um, it just never really worked out. I was busy on other series, or um, they had regular artists at the time. I just ended up doing a lot of fill-ins instead of being the regular artist on the book. Just out of, uh, that's the way it worked out. We're on our second season of our show, and we've been talking about the Stan Lee run, where he you know, worked with Dicko and then Ramita. And we're kind of asking everybody, and I don't know how, you know, where that, run is in your heart or anything but is there when you think of a spider-man comic by stan lee is there a storyline that comes to mind to you that's a favorite no actually you know i missed that whole marvel uh revolution in the 60s i was reading mad magazine back then oh. <laughs> i wasn't reading marvel comics um i was as a kid i was reading some superman comics and the harvey line of comics Archie comics, um, but I missed that whole thing. I didn't read Marvel comics until I got in the business, really, right? Oh, wow. Like as I was trying to get in the business, and I got some Marvel comics and looked at them and, and tried to uh, do my best to, you know, get a get a job at Marvel. Um, but I had not read practically any of those uh, issues with Ditko um, uh, and Stan. I was all catch up later after I was already working on the books. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us about one of our favorite issues. Yeah, right. thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. So, Dan, next up, we're going to flash forward a little bit, if you see what I did there. Ah. Uh, to the brand new day era of Amazing Spider-Man uh, with another classic artist. We're talking with Barry Kitson, uh, who kind of has a, a sporadic... Um, array of spider-man issues during that uh run but um probably most memorable of which was amazing spider-man number 574 which was the uh, flashback uh story of uh flash thompson in iraq and again barry kitson i mean they, all everyone we talked to was great i mean don't get me wrong but barry i think he just seemed legitimately intrigued by just talking to us about the art and some of these stories and where it came from and and it was just such a truly enjoyable conversation with him so, so why don't we go right to it hey everybody it's dan again and we're here at terrificon and we're sitting down with none other than Barry Kitson, uh, artist on many books, including Amazing Spider-Man. And uh, we're going to ask him a few questions about his time on that book. Uh, so, Barry, before we get into any specific details, I guess I'm curious, uh, in regards to your style when working on a Spider-Man book, um, what Spider-Man artist, if any, do you draw inspiration from for the character? Ah, uh, it's a good question. Um... 
I, I think I'm like a, a bit of a sponge. I draw inspiration from everyone in some way or other. Um, probably with Spider-Man, you know, Ditko would always be my go-to reference. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say there's any any other one stands out above all others. I love loads of people's different versions of him. You know, you know I love Gil Kane's version of, of Spider-Man. Rick Leonardi is great. Sort of more recently, I think Joe Casada does a great version of Spider-Man. That's why I always hate saying favorite guy you know, you know tomorrow in about an hour i'm going to remember five people i've dissed by not remembering their names and then oh why didn't i say him but um, yeah i mean ditko is my go-to kind of reference spider-man's not short on great artists working on that book that's for sure that's true that's true uh, one of the nice things about it is you know you could go anywhere in the world and say oh yeah i'm drawing spider-man and people instantly know exactly what you're talking about and they're excited about it it's kind of my go-to sketch if you bump you know meet people on a plane or something and say oh can you do a sketch for my children or whatever i'll i'll always do spidey because you know everybody's always going to recognize him right um so barry you know you you did a lot of your work during the uh the brand new day era of amazing spider-man and you know we've been fortunate enough to have a number of the writers during that era to come in and talk to us a little bit about the process that was involved in in putting that book together three times a month and, uh -huh. but i'm curious from the artistic perspective because we've not heard a lot from uh pencilers and inkers who are working on the book what kind of pressures was that on 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 the artistic side especially with these kind of frenetic deadlines and rotating creators and different people were assigned to different storylines and it just seemed like there was a potential for a lot of chaos <laughs> yes there that. certainly was potential for a lot of chaos i mean it was good fun i mean it was hectic but it was good fun i mean occasionally you thought you were going to draw one story and you ended up drawing another one um you know like there was one issue i think uh mike mccone did about five or six pages and then i ended up doing the last 15 or 16 but but that's always fun you know it's it's, it's the collaboration comics is always what makes it a good fun and the stories were fun the right you know the writers were great to work with dan slot was really good fun to work with it was just a great you know it was, it was a good fun time it was a great time and of course like one of the big issues that you um worked on uh was the uh, flashback the flash thompson uh military story yeah i think that's been one of the most commented on stories i've ever done i think yeah, yeah. and we, we we about a year or two ago had mark guggenheim on and he talked a little bit about kind of the the background to that story so but Again, from the artistic perspective, I mean, this was, this is a Spider-Man comic, but you're doing a war story. Um, I'm just curious, like, what from your end, what, did you, did you, what kind of research did you put into that? Have you, do you had other experience working on those kind of books before? I haven't had it. Didn't have any experience working on those kind of books before. Um, uh, if you look at my career, I tend to try to veer more towards sci-fi and fantasy stuff, so I don't have to do reference. But for that one, I did do a lot of reference. So I was, I was very concerned with making sure I got all the military things right you know one of the, the biggest compliments I've got is from you know servicemen have come up to me and said how much they enjoyed that issue and how I managed to get things mostly right I think um, one of the most kind of memorable things I've ever had at a convention anywhere was a guy came up to me with that issue and it was kind of a bit battered and I said oh it's nice to see a well-read comic and that's like that because I kept it under my flak jacket for six months tour of uh, Iran or Afghanistan, I can't remember where he was. But, I mean, you know, you can't get a much better kind of compliment than that. Well, the book concludes with this kind of, you know, stunning, you know, at the time reveal of Flash Thompson had lost his parts of his legs yeah. in, in combat. 
And, you know, the book goes out of its way to avoid showing that until the, you know, the end. I guess as an artist, you know, what were the challenges and, and some of the, like, uh, things that you did to kind of maintain that surprise? Did, like, how was that to work on maintaining a visually limited uh, book? It's a very good question that I'd probably have to look through the comic to, to actually give you the answers now. I can't, I can't remember if it's specifically now. I just... Um, I remember, I do remember sort of thinking, you know, I've got to make sure that we don't give anything away. But I, I can't remember off the top of my head exactly what, what, what techniques I used to do it. I think I've drawn about another six or seven hundred pages since then. So, I guess it's not super typical to see the lower part of people's legs in comics anyway. Uh, certainly not with some artists. <laughs> that's, a, that's a Deadpool joke. Yes. <laughs> we got it. <laughs> um... So uh, another one of the stories from that era that was was you know fairly popular and and talked about was the the redheaded stranger story where it was like the return of Mary Jane to the comics full time uh, that you worked a couple of issues on uh-huh. and again you know given kind of the the third rail qualities of Peter and Mary Jane at that point in Marvel editorial. I'm curious, did, did, was there any kind of pressure on you artistically to deliver MJ in her full glory in those stories? Or, I mean, was it just another another book for you, so to speak? Um, well, there, there wasn't any pressure from, uh, you know, editorial. No. In, in particularly in that way. But, I, I mean, I always feel the pressure as a comic fan myself to do justice to the the characters and, and the, the past, you know, and, and the heritage that, you know, I, I'm given the honor to, to play with. So, yeah, I, fe- I felt that pressure, you, you know, the, you know, you don't want anyone, the one to let down the fans, you know, you don't, you don't want somebody open it and you're that up and go, oh, well, that's not as good as it she used to be, you know, it's, it's so, yeah, yeah, I mean, I feel a lot of pressure that way, but. It's very infrequent that we get a chameleon story in the pages of Spider-Man and, you got to do that amazing design of the chameleon's lair. With I all love those. that was my that was one of my favorite pages I did for the Spider-Man run. Was I, yeah. I'll never forget it with all the faces hanging yeah. on the wall. Yeah. It's terrifying. Could you, could you talk about designing that and and was that on the page for you when you received it or was that like something that sprung forth from your mind? Uh, that was that was me. I think I, I just I just wanted to make him scary and you know because yeah a, just a guy who puts on different faces can be like not. A very serious villain. If you know, he, he could just be pretty. Like he's just a guy who puts a mask on. So I, so I wanted to make him creepy and somebody that you could see could be a serious threat to Spider-Man. So, and it, it was a fun page to do. Well, I, hats off. It's my favorite chameleon yeah. story, I think, and, oh, and because it's so scary. <laughs> yeah. Like that, that image tells you so much about that character that was like maybe always under the surface, but like. We'd never seen anything quite like that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's a big uh, compliment. <laughs> <laughs> Barry, before we let you go, uh, I just wanted to give you an opportunity to plug uh, where maybe we can find more of your stuff. Is there a website, social media, anything like that where people can find your work and you know, buy commissions, anything like that? Yeah, sure. There, there's a Facebook group, uh, art group, which is called, I have to get this right because I often get it wrong. Yeah, just Barry Kitson Art on Facebook. Um, there's also an in- Instagram place you can find me and uh, comic art fans there's a gallery of my artwork you can find there um, I'm happy to respond to anybody and everybody who uh, contacts me great a- any future for you for Spider-Man that you that you've got coming down on the road uh, uh, nothing Spider-Man 
related in at the moment. Um, working on Doctor Strange at the moment. Very cool. Ooh, We're excited awesome. about that. But yeah. I will, uh, in case you did not know this, uh, Spider-Man was actually my very first professional work. Oh. Uh, back in October '83. I didn't know that. No. That, what, uh, issue, what issue was that? It was for Marvel UK. They did a, a series. Uh, of issues of him actually of Peter Parker visiting England and they had a story in England um, and that was uh, written by Mike Collins and as I say it was my first professional work and I was inked by Mark Farmer and we never worked together again until we did Spider-Man together how funny uh, in the in the US so well now we're going to try to go hunt that down here <laughs> at the convention <laughs> yeah it's, it's um, yeah, I've, I've got a few, a few people have brought issues up for me to sign it's um, it was fun. I mean, Mark made me look great. I mean, it was obviously my first ever work, and he, he inked it and made me look. It's always good to have a, an inker that's got your, uh, you know, uh, talent as part of his focus. Oh, know? yeah, Mark's great. Absolutely yeah. great. Well, thank you so much yes. for talking oh, it's to us. it been my pleasure. Yes, thanks, Barry. So next up, we've got um, another voice actor uh, of Spider-Man, our second in the show's history. We also had uh, Christopher Daniel Barnes on, uh, I guess, I mean, I, I don't even know how many episodes ago, but definitely within the past 100 episodes. But this one was a special treat for me because, you know, we I did that interview with uh, Ralph Bakshi early on in the season, which I couldn't believe that fate worked to kind of have that happen. But now I got to talk to Paul Souls from that series. He did the voice of Peter Parker and Spider-Man. And if you haven't listened to our interview with Ralph Bakshi, the kind of showrunner of seasons two and three of that show, go back to season two, episode five uh, of our show. But uh, Paul is another one of these guys, like all the kind of old creators on on Spider-Man. Not old, but like the, the classic creators of the character who seem to just kind of like operate out of this Stan Lee playbook where they just know how to talk about this character in really eloquent ways. So Paul Souls is just another one of these wonderful guys to talk to. So let's get right to that interview. Everyone, it's Dan here again at Terrificon, and I'm sitting down with Mark and our special guest here, Paul Souls, the voice of Spider-Man from the Spider-Man 67 cartoon. If anybody knows anything about Spider-Talking, it's him. So thanks for coming on our show. You're very welcome. Wallop and web snappers, everybody. Just a reminder that that phrase only appeared in the cartoons, never in the comic books. Well, there you go. It's unique to the uh, series. All right. Um, so we recently had uh, Ralph Bakshi on our show. Who yes. Famously was like the showrunner, I guess, for seasons two and three of the show. Right. Um, I guess for, before we even get to those seasons, I wanted to talk to you about how you found yourself in this role uh, of Spider-Man. Uh, what kind of an audition process you went through? I'm embarrassed in a way, Mark, to say that there was a lovely pool of very accomplished radio actors in the city of Toronto, largely developed by the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation in the 40s and 50s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. And they did plays from Shakespeare to modern. It was essentially the foundation of Canadian theater. There wasn't much theater. 
the radio because of the size of the country, six time zones, 6,000 miles, you know. So that's where we learned to do the job. And a lot of good people were developed through the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation's sponsorship of these programs. And I had a cousin who was a very prominent announcer, which was an honorable profession at those days, on the CBC. And thanks to his introduction, he got me involved with some of these projects. And uh, as I say to most people, more good luck than good management is uh, what's given me my career. So how are you able to develop a character of Spider-Man that you were able to put your voice to. I mean, when we've been talking to people throughout this season about, and the animated series has been brought up, and you know, at the time, you know, Spider-Man wasn't obviously what he is now in terms of his his recognizability. The cartoon was really one of the things that brought him to a larger audience. So, I mean, did were you did you read the comics and and come up with something, or did you just do what you did and it came out the way it did? <laughs> I'm going to refer you back to a modern icon named Clint Eastwood and a number of other people, but certainly in today's terms, Clint represents the axiom that it's all in the casting. If the director can see the character or hear the character in the person he's casting, he or she can get out of the way and just let the actor go. So in order to do that, I'm going to flatter myself a little bit by saying the directors sort of could say, okay, souls can do that. So they were able to think I understood what it might be to be a, a teenager, wasn't very old, who can't get along with girls, kind of a nerd, has this bite by the radioactive spider. He's kind of innocent. He's in the sense the kind of character he is because he's the loss of his uncle. The circumstances that made him uh, able to overcome difficulties ordinary teenagers wouldn't. And he took it seriously. He had some conscience, a social conscience. He had a bad break and he wanted to make it right. And he had the powers by this accidental bite to get it done. Well, what could be better? And I've, you know, always thought of myself a bit. I was never the big ladies' man during my adolescent years, so you had to work at it a little bit. And so uh, that was essentially what I was bringing to the character. And if that's what the producers thought I was able to do, I was the beneficiary of their kind judgment. So famously, the show under Grant Ray Lawrence ha had, had a bit of a more robust budget to produce its episodes, the first season uh, of the show, you know, with, with a variety of, of talents and, and characters pulled straight out of the comics. I guess I'm curious for you, uh, during that kind of first season, what was it like like working with those groups of actors, was it like a radio drama? Did you guys get all, all get along and, and put on these shows? We all did get along and we almost all of us had day jobs in a way. So this was kind of our playtime, our fun. And you know, most actors are children. So the opportunity to kind of just blow off steam by playing, we had good enough scripts. They kind of 
directed themselves in the way of your reaction one to the other. And if a, a, a child psychiatrist had come into the studio and seen us as adults writhing around the floor, climbing the wall, waving, banging, screaming, yelling, just like children, that it would have put us all in, in white jackets and sent us away to the funny farm. But it was just, you know, that's what actors are essentially. When they say you're playing a role or whatever, you really are playing. And that's what we were doing. You know, Ralph Bakshi took over, over the show for seasons two and three. And, you know, he's a very famous animator with, yeah. who, for doing kind of edgier material. Did you feel a shift in how you were directed and, and how you were kind of performing in those second and third seasons? I have to confess to you, I don't think we were. I don't think there was anything different or unusual in that as actors we would respond to the script. I think any decent actor, uh, I'll tell you one that comes to mind immediately is Jeff Daniels, who was in the newsroom, Aaron Sorkin's wonderful scripts. He has always uh, championed and said, you know, as an actor really is only as good as, as good writing, and any good actor worth his salt would know the quality of Sorkin's writing and you just rise to that. It makes everything so much easier, more enjoyable, more profoundly worth it. So you get a good script, everything from Shakespeare down, and you sail with it. You just, you don't have to really work if you got the words in the first place well written. Did you have any sense of the popularity of this character None. at the time? Nobody had at the time the idea this was gonna endure so long. I may be a bit presumptuous, but with all of his abilities and ego, I think even Stan Lee would have admitted he wasn't so sure this was a, a lifetime project. You know, people were kind of deriding him. Yeah, here's your superhero, he's a nerd, he can't get along with girls, he, this and that. And yet, uh, Stan had confidence in the circumstances that would resonate with people. Yeah, a guy who had a couple of strikes against him, but he tries harder. And he's doing it for good, noble, social reasons. To right a wrong, to make a wrong uh, corrected. Uh, influenced by his elders. What's wrong with that? And here we are, 50 plus years exactly. later, still talking about it. We, we had Ralph Bakshi on the show, he admitted that he's never seen it since it went to air. Yes. And that, that the show meant something to so many people. Um, like, what has that journey been like for you to kind of realize that, like, I know you have Hermie, and that's probably a much more broadly beloved character, nostalgia, but what has it been like for you to kind of discover a place that has in people's hearts and the place that you have in people's consciousness as the voice of Spider-Man. We were kids. I mean, we were in our early 30s when we did this. At least I was. All I can say is that over the years, with some maturity and living, you suddenly realize what the appeal, uh, let's say at least for Rudolph and Spider-Man to a degree, for the reasons I've mentioned. Sure. You start to realize that there's something universal in the idea that to have been marginalized set aside, said you're not part of the real whole group, uh, is something almost everybody goes through at one time or another. 
whether it's never being put on the first baseball team at school or whatever. Everybody's put, been put in that position where you're kind of different or not quite accepted. And that's a common denominator. And in Rudolph, for example, the circumstances are that the poor guy who wanted to be a dentist was different, suddenly was the savior of the whole community, was justification. In terms of Spider-Man, again, marginalized, kind of a nerdy teenager, but who can and did save the day for good reasons. I think these are worthwhile lessons. I don't think you have to be a street bully, knock somebody around, insult somebody to make yourself feel important. I think doing a good deed is still a, a worthwhile thing. I'm so interested in that because Hermes' voice and Spider-Man's voice done by you couldn't be more different. One is really nasal and one is very like deep and kind of has like a bit of a... Well, I'm a schizo, you know. that's all. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to believe it's the same person. Um, what do you think it is about like the, the base quality of your voice that lent you well to these roles or these kind of heroes? As I said earlier, I, I'm grateful to the directors who gave me the opportunity and just let me go. And I think, as I said earlier about Mr. Eastwood, it's that quality. I met a, a very famous director at one point, John Huston, uh, did some magnificent work internationally in the 60s, 70s, and so forth. And he was one of those who literally gave no direction. And some fact, some people, Michael Caine, uh, I interviewed once, and. He was directed by Houston in The Man Who Would Be King. He and Sean Connery, a wonderful film. And apparently, uh, Kane had hoped for direction from this world-class director. And all Houston ever said was, uh, Michael, um, perhaps just a little faster. That's it. Now, that's a vote of confidence for an actor. And... It's pretty nice when you meet a director who's so confident that he has you there and ex expects that you are responding to the script the way he does as an adult with a certain vision. So he doesn't need to do anything to help you or direct you. Let you go. Uh, Dan, uh, 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 Daniels, uh, Jeff Daniels, I believe has said the same thing in interviews after his time on uh, the newsroom. And what's, what's it like acting against something that's not there? Imagine these characters that, you know... That's hard for me to imagine. Give me an example. You know, you've got Spider-Man fighting some tentacle oh. monster. You know, how are you reacting to How that? do you respond to danger? Threats? Uh, wrong? Uh, that's universal. Everybody does that. Yeah. That's the beauty of good scripts. They're universal. They touch something in everybody at some time. Well, thank you so much, Paul, for Pleasure. joining us. It was wonderful to talk to you. Pleasure. And thank you for being such a big part of so many of our lives. More good luck than good management. <laughs> thank you so much. So uh, next up, we've got Mark Guggenheim. He's a friend of the show. We did an awesome interview with him about the brand new day era and kind of someone that I've you know, run into all over LA and, and, and become familiar with. And really he's just a great person. So we didn't really have a ton to talk to him about regarding new Spider-Man stuff, 
from him because our interview is so thorough. But I think he's always a great guy to check in with about comics, modern comics. You know, he's writing X-Men Gold right now and dealing with the kind of reveal of the wedding in, in that story. And so we wanted to ask him a little bit about, you know, how the industry works in regards to spoilers and editorial, because he's quite open about the kind of behind-the-scenes process. So uh, let's let's take take it away, Mark Guggenheim. Hi, everybody. This is Dan here on the floor of Terrificon. I'm here with Mark Ginocchio and another Mark, Mark Guggenheim. Hey. Welcome back to the show, Mark. It's nice to be back. It's been a little while. It has been a while. It's been a long while, actually. Uh, two years, I believe. Yeah. yeah Time yeah. flies. Time does fly, and we're all just getting a little bit balder. Yes, we are. Well, some of us. Yes. Some well. of us. It's still happening. Well, <laughs> you're, you're, you're getting balder. We have actually maintained Remained our... equally bald. Equally bald. In fact, you know, if I don't shave my head for a couple of days, I become less bald. You know, I can do that. You can't. Before we get to the, uh, to the heart of the topic, I don't know if you've been reading modern Spider-Man comics. Yes, of course. Well, I'm, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm in the tank slot. I'm a big Dan Slot fan, so... Um, I've been reading Dan's run. What about Nick Spencer's run? Um, I'm behind. Uh, I'm behind. I, I'm only two issues behind, but I, I have to get to it. But you've read issue one. Yes. So we need to talk about this because okay. you worked during the brand new day era yes. with a team that had explicitly had to deal with the fact that Mary Jane and Peter were not to be together. Yes. At least married. Yes. Or, this is the new understanding we've come to understand. And so what I want, am curious about from you is that has clearly been undone to some regard. They are back together again. Yes, yes. They're certainly romantically entangled again. At least it seems. Uh, I, I don't want to presume anything. But, but let's, let's say for the sake of argument, let's say for the sake of argument, they are fully on back together. They are, I wouldn't say holy matrimony because that yep. implies something incorrect. Yes. But they are... Well, let's just take it at face value. They are, they are attached to some degree again. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes we are really beating around this bush. Yes, yeah. we are. Um, which I, so is Marvel. Yes. Thoughts, feelings that... And, and, and I will say that I think it was yesterday, uh, Casada made some kind of statement or uh, suggested, or maybe it was in one of our interviews, yes. suggested that... He never said they couldn't be together. He just said that they couldn't be married. Your thoughts? Well, by the way, that it, on its face, that is absolutely true. Because if you think about it, all One More Day did was it never said they were never together. Right. It just said they were never married. So right. I, I think Joe is being very consistent with everything he's said for now a great number of years. Uh, look, that, that being said, I, you know, it's comic books. And... Comic books are nothing if not cyclical. And, you know, different eras cycle back around uh, over the years. I am, if they were to get married tomorrow, I'd be completely comfortable with that. Yeah. I've always, I have to say, I think as a, I've been a Spider-Man reader, you know, since I was a very young kid. And I've, I've was a Spider-Man reader when he was married. I was a Spider-Man reader when he wasn't married. I was a Spider-Man reader when they were married and estranged. Like, and... I'll be honest, I've always been very agnostic on the whole marriage front. We feel the same way. Um, it, it's never been a make-or-break thing for me. So 
I look at it as, yeah, it's a cyclical thing. If they were to you know, get back together, then they get back together. I, because I do think for some fans, the married years are their years. Like, uh, you know, as fans, they are the, you know, uh, those are the years that they remember. Totally respect that. Uh, and, and also, after how many years has it been since Brand New Day and One More Day? Like uh, 10. Oh, yeah, 10, 10. After 10 years. I'm sorry. After ten years, you're welcome to do whatever you want. Yeah. You know, like I'll, I'll give you an example. I was I was talking about uh, Spider-Man. Uh, of course. Oh my God, I'm blanking on the number. Uh, the the Flash Thompson issue that I wrote with Barry Kitson. You should um, know this. Of I know. I usually know it right off the top of my head, but also <laughs> it's the second day of a convention, and my brain is. Mushed. I don't blame you for um, a second. But uh, I was saying, like, yeah, you know, of all the things I've done in comics. Uh, t- you know, having Flash lose his legs is really almost the only thing that is stuck. Um, and of course, Flash was killed. Spoiler alert! Uh, in in Dan's uh, second to last issue, um, and it's comic books. I don't think I'm spoiling anything to say that at some point Flash is going to come back to life, and something tells me that when Flash comes back to life, he will have all of his limbs. The one um, scar you inflicted, I no, undone. I have no insight. But my, my point is that nothing ever lasts forever in comics. Um, and, I mean, truth be told, it's like the only thing I'm, I can really think of that has happened in, in recent memory and is stuck is the death of Marvel. you know, the death of Captain Marvel. That's the only one. Um, everything else, I feel like, gets undone eventually. I think, well, CB is down at the end of this aisle. I feel like you could pitch a story right now, the return of Marvel. You know, I'll be honest. I absolutely would if I thought I had a great story to tell. Like, I'll give you a good example. Like, you know, I thought, you know, Ed Brubaker's bringing back Bucky was, to me, the best example of, you know what, if you have a great story, bring the character back. That's a great story. And that's a great way of doing it. Don't do it just to do it. Just as I think you shouldn't kill a character off just to kill a character off. Do it if you have a great story to tell. Now, just to follow up on what you just mentioned a few minutes ago regarding your, your flashback issue, you know, you, you obviously referred to, again, spoiler alert, uh, Flash Thompson's death in, in ASM 800. Uh, but, I mean, I think a lot of people kind of consider the emotional journey that Flash went on that culminated in that issue began with your flashback issue. So, you know, considering you kind of like shepherd the character forward into a new status quo to kind of see it culminate the way it did. Did that resonate with you in any kind of way? It, it really did. I mean, I it, it resonated with me in a huge way because, first of all, I thought it was just a really effective story, and it was really great storytelling on Dan's part. And the great thing about Dan and his run on Spider-Man is he, he always had a great sense of history, not just of... Spider-Man in general, but also his own run and his, just his time on the book. And I thought what was awesome about his ending was everything felt like it was driving towards 800 and 801. Like, you really did feel as if this was the completion of a multi-year-long story. And I, I love that. That's, to me, one of the great things about comic books, uh, particularly in a time when the long runs of, you know, years and years and years, you know, almost like a decade, uh, are a thing of the past. I wanted to follow up with something that you and I talked about outside of the podcast when I saw you at Collector's Paradise, a comic shop, a little while ago, um, which was your issue of X-Men Gold, where, surprise, the wedding didn't actually take place, and earlier in the day, Marvel released, like, a, a press statement where it 
revealed the twist of your story. But um, getting back to the Mary Jane thing, there was no like inkling that that was going to happen. There was no press. There was no. It surprised us out of nowhere, um, and there was a real push with Marvel in regards to saying, "Keep this quiet. We're really going to. Um, we're really trying to keep this a secret." And I guess, um, like, how how do you like feel like there's the 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 press that brings more people reading it and the versus keeping it a secret and maintaining the surprise and how do you think as a writer maybe not an editor but how would you balance revealing those kind of things or keeping them secret well um you know there's a there's sort of a i have a micro reaction sort of a macro reaction um you know micro in terms of x-men 30 First of all, it wasn't like Marvel did this um, without consulting with me no, first. No, of course not. You know, CB actually called me up and said, hey, listen, here's the situation. And I, I don't really feel like it's my place to sort of comment on the specifics of Marvel's decision-making process. But I, I will tell you, like, there w they did want to keep it a secret. Um, and that was very much to the forefront of their minds. But it was becoming increasingly clear that they wouldn't be able to keep it a secret. And if you, you know, if you are going to, if it's something's going to be spoiled, uh, and this is where I start to transition to macro, for my money, you know, as someone who, like, I feel like on Arrow and Legends of Tomorrow and the CW shows, half my job was keeping secrets. Um, my philosophy is, is that if you can't keep the secret, if it looks like the secret's going to come out, explode the grenade on your own terms. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't want to speculate, but I feel like that was very much sort of what Marvel was doing with X-Men 30, and I, I don't blame them. I, the, the, it's funny, everyone sort of is focusing these days on DC and Marvel and the, the decisions that they make of when to spoil and when not to spoil. And for my money, uh, people are missing the point. What they really, the, if they're going to be angry, they shouldn't be angry at Marvel and DC. Believe me, Marvel and DC want to keep stuff secret. Right. They, they should be angry at all the people on the internet and some of the quite frankly, smaller sites who live to spoil pro things. That's the problem. And, you know, don't be angry at Marvel and DC. They're just doing their best in a world where it is increasingly hard uh, to keep any kind of plot twist a secret. It's so much better to be Marvel PR releasing it than bleeding cool, taking pictures and releasing a it. Absolutely. I mean, that's, you know, that's the thing. And we, we would always take the same philosophy in the, you know, in the Arrowverse shows where we're trying to keep a secret. But, you know, if we shoot on location... There's paparazzi there. We do our best to stop the paparazzi, but you know they've got long tele, you know, telephoto lenses, and they, you know, can get. It's it's either, you know, it's either shoot only on loca only on sound stages, which is going to really sort of ruin the scope and production value of the shows, or it's roll the dice uh, and have to deal with the paparazzi. I hope I didn't give you any hot topic questions. I know. It's, no, it's, no. Look, actually, I like talking about it because, I mean, truth be told, by the end of my, you know, six-year run as showrunner of Arrow, um, I I got tired of trying to keep all the secrets. Like, um, uh, it, I felt like I was in the CIA, and it just is exhausting. Uh, I actually give Beth Schwartz a lot of credit. She's working really hard to keep the secrets of Arrow season seven under wraps, but it it takes a lot of energy uh it, it it's not easy to do so i've got nothing but you know empathy and sympathy for marvel and dc trying to keep their storyline secret um it's frustrating but we live in this incredibly interconnected time with the internet where everyone 
is walking around with cameras and you know microphones in their pockets. It's hard. It gets harder and harder to keep a secret. And and are rewarded for releasing secrets. Yeah. Well, I that's the problem. You know. Again, they're. I feel like they're the problem. It's not Marvel and DC. Marvel and DC are just. Believe me, if they're spoiling something, it's because they're exploding a grenade that was going to go off anyway. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, thank you so much for talking to us, Mark. It's always fun, guys. I appreciate it. Congrats on the end of season two. Thanks. Thank you. So that was it. That's the last of our creator interviews on the show. And as always, I wanted to say thanks again to all of these wonderful guests who helped make this 200th episode so special for us and our time at Mohegan Sun for Terrificon so special. But now, like we've been teasing... For the best part, we turn to you, our listeners at home, to call in to our number, Nine Red Goblin, a character we definitely created, Mark, and leave us a voicemail with your thoughts on our past 100 episodes and your own particular journeys. And I gotta say, I was really happy with all the messages we got, so let's just roll them all. Hey guys, this is Ryland Bojack from Orlando, Florida. Uh, I'm the guy who came up with the theme song for your show. So I was just calling in. Just wanted to say thank you for all you guys do. I think I've been listening to you guys since I believe like your second or third episode. So like right there at the beginning. And um, I don't know, I was just looking for a Spider-Man podcast and it just worked out perfectly that you guys were starting uh, at that time too. So I've really enjoyed watching uh, your show grow and kind of see how you guys have adapted and changed things and changed formats and doing all that. So I've also really loved being a part of the show and having that song be at the beginning. It's just it's made me really happy consistently for a long time to, uh, for for that to be something um, that I could contribute to so I can do my music and I can do my uh, Spider-Man thing with you guys. So it's just been really cool. Um, I've just been really pleased that you guys have used the song and uh just also wanted to say I appreciate your conversation. You guys are always highly intellectual. Even when you guys don't, uh, you know, uh, like something, you always have clear justifications and you articulate yourselves well. And you guys are hilarious, too. So that's, you know, that always makes a, a huge difference. So can't tell you how much I appreciate you guys. I've spent a lot of time driving around listening. So here's to another 100 episode, guys. I, I hope that uh, hope that there's many, many more. And uh, congratulations on the milestone. It's super awesome. Thanks, guys. Hey, Mark and Dan, this is Jonathan Osborne. Yes, that is my real last name. Uh, I'm from Port Ritchie, Florida. I've really only been listening to the podcast for a few months, but I really, really enjoy it. Uh, listening to you guys, it you know, feels like I'm talking Spider-Man with a couple of my buddies. So uh, you guys really do a great job. I uh, just wanted to say congrats on 200 episodes, and uh, here's to 200 more. Thanks, guys. Well, hello, Dr. Dan, Mischievous Mark. This is just Jason Carrier from Montreal, giving you guys a call. I am currently in Europe, and i got to say, I, uh, I binge listened to a bunch of episodes on the plane over here. And I wanted to send uh, a message to you guys and say that's probably my favorite memory or favorite activity um, with your amazing Spider Talk podcast. Being able to listen to your voices for seven hours on a flight across the world. So keep it up. You guys are the best. And talk to you soon. Bye. Hi, I'm Mark and Dan. My name is Kevin Dorsey. I live in Moyak, North Carolina. 
I would like to congratulate you two both on uh, your 200th episode. Uh, I've been listening probably since about episode 50, and I have not missed an episode since. I usually listen to the podcast when I'm on my way to the comic store. So the closest one is in Virginia Beach, which is about 45 minutes away. So it's the perfect time to listen to your podcast, and it makes the trip a little bit more enjoyable because it's made mostly farmland and there's something to see. So once again, congratulations, guys, and here's to another 200. Thanks a lot. This is John Nieves from Orlando. I just wanted to call in and congratulate Amazing Spider Talk on 200 episodes. I started listening to you guys in uh, summer of 2017 last year. Uh, I had torn my ACL at work and I was recovering at home. And I was stuck inside the house for probably like a good month before I could start my recovery. So I started reading Amazing Spider-Man again. I had taken a break like for maybe like a year or so, probably at the start of the Parker Industry stuff. I came across you guys' podcasts, and I just really enjoyed Dan and Mark's insight and their opinions on Spider-Man. I always had like a reverence for the character that I felt was maybe kind of silly for having, considering it was a fictional character. But, you know, it was nice to see that I wasn't the only one out there that had the same kind of reverence or, you know, like had... Uh, the character meant so much to them, but uh, more more important than any of that, though, I always appreciated that they don't resort to disrespecting the creators because they don't agree with every story decision they make. So you know, now I, I don't really consider uh, I don't just consider Amazing Spider Talk a part of my reading experience. More than anything, really, I kind of consider them a part of my Spider Man experience. So congratulations on 200 episodes. Here's hoping for 200 more, guys. Hey guys, this is Kane from the Untold Talks of Spider-Man. I got two questions for you guys. First, I'm in my backyard and I've got something of a bee problem. Uh, what did Mark do to get rid of Swarm? Because uh, I think I've got my own little Swarm problem here and uh, I'm looking for advice. Second, it's been like a hundred episodes and you guys still haven't covered the Golden Oldie. So I, I, I think I think I'm just gonna have to do that myself. I, I think I think you've, you've pushed me into that corner. So uh, just uh, calling you out, and uh, also want to congratulate you guys on 200 episodes. It's been a blast listening to you guys. I'm ready for 200 more. So uh, thanks. And uh, Dan, I, I still need to get you on the show. <laughs> Talk to you later, guys. Hi, Dan and Mark. This is Chris Long from Columbus, Ohio. Congratulations on your 200th episode. Really love your podcast. I've been collecting Spider-Man since I was 11 years old. I'll never forget the, the first issue that I picked off the spinner rack was ASM 229, which is, of course, the first of a two-part, now classic storyline, Nothing Can Stop the Juggernaut by Stern and Ramita. And what a jumping-on point it was for me. And uh, it was a life-changing event to, you know, experience Spider-Man um, in the midst of one of the best comic runs of all time in Stern and Ramita. And, you know, I've always considered myself a pretty knowledgeable Spider-Man fan until I started listening to your podcast. And I've learned so much. Uh, you guys are knowledgeable, informative, and entertaining. And, you know, do a great job of, uh, you know, providing knowledge and entertainment about the Spider-Man universe. And uh, I just wanted to say good luck, wishing you the best for another 200 episodes, 
and uh, thanks again. Bye-bye. Hey, Mark and Dan. Dennis Mercer calling in to congratulate you guys on your 200th episode. Been listening to the show since the early single digits uh, and all the way through. Uh, thanks to you guys. I have uh, started my own chase going back trying to collect back issues of Amazing Spider-Man from uh, from 100 to today. <clears throat> so just wanted to say thanks a lot uh, for, for setting me on my own way. Uh, enjoy the show and keep up the great work. Thanks. Hi, this is Kevin Ewing calling from Western New York. Congratulations, Mark and Dan, on another 100 episodes. You two are the best darn banter bunnies, I mean banter buddies, a spidey podcast listening folks could hope for. I shared my story of listening to the podcast on the 100th episode, so instead for the 200th, I'll share my hopes for the next 100. Hopefully, Mark learns what the word essential means. I'm looking at you, Marvel 2 and 1 annual. Hopefully, Dan acquires the fine art of putting packaging tape on the end of shipping tubes. Hopefully, we don't get any more weird Ditko conspiracies from TV personalities. These last two are a cheap plug for becoming a Patreon member. Hopefully, Mark and Dan's significant others can join in on another February episode. They always brought a touch of class to the show. Hopefully, you guys continue to get great interviews from our favorite Spidey creators. <coughs> Hopefully, you continue the insightful analysis of the Spider-Man mythos that you've always provided. And finally... Hopefully this 200th episode is a little more in quality like Spectacular Spider-Man 200 than Amazing Spider-Man 200. Thanks to you both for providing many hours of listening pleasure on such a beloved character, and I look forward to the next 100 episodes. Hi guys, my name's Daniel, just calling from England. First discovered your show early on in Season 1, um, and really loved the synergy that the two of you built when discussing Spider-Man tend to listen to you when I've had a stressful day at work uh, or if I'm out walking the dog and the moment that those um, little sound bites come on and the songs, all the stress melts away. Loving the Slack app, just keep up the good work there and being a Patreon member, uh, the commissioned artwork is absolutely fantastic. Cheers guys, bye. Hey, this is Greg Hurt, Colin and Dan listen to the show. Um, most mornings or, you know, whenever a new episode comes out between uh, Untold Tales and Amazing Spider Talk and then the Patreon page every time I go into work. I work in youth corrections, and I actually even started up a comic book club, an anime club for my kids. Uh, so I work with corrections, 20-year-old gentlemen that are either at risk or literally risk themselves. So um, to try and reach Hey, Dan and Mark, congratulations. This is Alan Jerstel calling from New York to say, I'm glad you made it to another milestone. I never doubted for a second. Uh, and I look forward to many more years of trying to remember whether this podcast is called Superior Talk or Amazing Talk. Anyway, the thing I really wanted to talk to you guys today about, though, was the the great failure of your podcast so far. And that, of course, is the failure of the Papa Jonah character, that beloved pizza icon, to catch on, to appear in the Marvel books, to appear in Amazing, to maybe save the sorry state of American delivery pizza. And then I realized, but wait, you guys actually have 
great outsized influence upon the books. I mean, you guys killed your Flash Thompson and then Dan Slott killed his Flash Thompson. You guys invented the Red Goblin and then, hey, Dan, Dan Slott invented a Red Goblin. And then I realized that maybe the magic is in the phone number. Uh, the Red Goblin phone number that you invented is clearly what gave Dan Slott the idea to pair up these two beloved, longtime ASM characters into this new version. And so I thought maybe what you guys need for this milestone episode is a new phone number, a new phone number that could give us a new character that will show the power of this podcast and affect the Spider-Man mythos. For, for, for a long time. So the first phone number, I, I went to see what phone numbers were available, and you guys are in luck. You can get 727-2555, which if you take those numbers and look at your, uh, look at your, look at your, uh, what do you call that, your keypad, you will see that that, go, that translates to Papa JJJ. Just do that. Switch Red Goblin to Papa JJJ, and bam, maybe... Maybe Jonah will forget Spider-Man is Peter Parker and start delivering pizzas. And then I started looking to see what other numbers were available. And uh, you could get 286-8622, which is a great number because it would allow you to combine two other beloved characters into a new surprise. 286-8622, of course, uh, is A-U-N-T-M-A-N, Ant-Man, combining the powers of Ant-May and uh, Ant-Man. Uh, and then inspired by the Red Goblin, you could do 227-6265, which would be Karna MJ, C-A-R-N-A-M-J, Carnamage, I believe was how we would say it. Uh, you know, red hair, red symbiote, uh, probably have drawn by 90s dudes, nearly nude all the time. Uh, but, you know, one of the hallmarks of the Dan Slot run is taking past obscure characters and bringing them back. So that could work with the phone number 787-9273. That, of course, is S-U-P-W-A-R-D. Not just Senator Ward from the Burn Mackey run. No, we're talking the Superior Ward. Like maybe this guy, he runs a committee or something. And then, you know, we're honoring the end of the Dan Slott run lately. You know, that epic, epic decade-long run of Spider-Man comics. And in his honor, I present to you the phone number 566 Four two six three for a great entirely new villain. Five six six four two six three, of course, is L O N G A M E. Lon Game, uh, short for Lonington Gameworth the Fourth. This would be a shadowy character <laughs> who could appear in an issue or two. Now, drop a few lines that don't really make any sense, and then maybe in ASM one thousand. Uh, turns out to be the villain who's been behind it all the whole time. I give you the long game, and I congratulate you guys on your long game. Long may you game this out. Congratulations, gentlemen. You're doing great. Bye. Hi, Dan and Mark. This is Adam Chapman from the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. Congratulations on reaching episode 200. It's a great achievement as you both have built the podcast into an example of what a comic book podcast should try to be. The underlying philosophy of your show, to be positive instead of negative like seemingly most of the internet, is just part of the secret sauce that makes your show so enjoyable to listen to and to support on Patreon. Over 200 episodes, listeners have listened to your bonds of friendship grow and deepen, and we get to come along for the ride. In the past 100 episodes, I've really enjoyed the format change as it has allowed you both to flex your muscles and talk about different aspects that really dig into the legacy of Spider-Man, both as a character and as a comic book. I'm glad that you have managed to still fit in episodes focusing on new issues, but the deep dive into Spider-Man lore is fun and engaging. 
Although Dan and I have corresponded throughout the years through Facebook, and he's been on my podcast in the past, usually for anniversary episodes, uh, there's one story I don't think I've ever actually told him, uh, which I actually wanted to share for this episode. Uh, although my podcast started before yours back in August 2012, uh, I can honestly say that it wouldn't be the show it is today if not for your show. Uh, when you had your first Spider Talk and their Amazing Friends episodes, uh, it is what first made me think that maybe I could reach out to combo creators as well. Hearing you guys talk with such amazing people um, like Ron Friends, Mark Bagley, it really inspired me. It made me think that, you know, even though we we're both relatively young podcasts, there were you guys talking to all these amazing people. Maybe I could do that. It helped inspire me to take that leap myself and start actually reaching out to creators, reaching out to some of the same creators and to talk with creators who had both written and illustrated comics of my youth and comics I was enjoying right then. Uh, it transformed my show completely, uh, as now it's predominantly a show where I interview comic creators, and I don't think I ever would have taken that leap without Amazing Spider Talk kind of inspiring me to do that first. So thanks for inspiring a naive podcaster to take that chance, put himself out there, and uh, as a result, I've had amazing conversations with so many different comic creators, both involved with Spider-Man involved with many different um, you know, facets of Marvel, DC, and independent comics. So uh, thank you so much, because without your guys' kind of model and seeing that it can be done, it's a, a young podcast who's actually being able to talk with these, these people, um, I may never have done that myself. And maybe my show would have ended a long time ago um, once I... You know, my I, my show went through a format change as well as my original co-host kind of moved away and it wasn't really a, possible with our schedules to make it work. I'm always inspired, so um, amazed by the fact that you guys are you know by coastal and you still find a way to make it work. And again, it's a testament to the friendship you guys have developed. And it's hard. It's hard to make it work when you're in different cities, let alone different time zones, different states, on different ends of the you know different ends of the states, uh, United States, I should say. Um, so it's just really interesting to see that. And so I don't know if my show would even still be around now if it wasn't for the interviews. And again, that's all thanks to Amazing Spider Talk. So thanks for, you know, laying the groundwork and, and showing me that it can be done and um, really forcing me to, to make that step myself. I really appreciate it because, again, I've had such amazing conversations and it was all thanks to Amazing Spider Talk. I hope to have more episodes show up in my queue to listen to for as long as Amazing Spider-Man continues to be published. Make mine Amazing Spider Talk. Hi, Dan and Mark. My name is Jarrett from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Uh, congrats on 200 episodes of The Amazing Spider Talk. I've been collecting Spider-Man comics for, oh, at least 25 years. Uh, as I kind of became an adult, uh, most of my friends who also collected comics kind of stopped, and my little community of people who I could talk to about comics kind of dwindled, and I eventually stopped reading as well for a few years. Um, I got back into comics again around Marvel Legacy, and Ended up binging about five years worth of Spider-Man comics from Superior Spider-Man all the way up to Marvel Legacy. At that time, I was kind of looking for some kind of community or something to basically read a comic and then, you know, break it down and see what we liked and what we didn't like. First started Googling some random review sites, didn't really like what I found, and eventually I decided let's try and find a podcast. And uh, the first one I tried was The Amazing Spider Talk, and I loved it right off the bat. I've been going back through all the old episodes and listening to them, and uh, the intelligent conversations uh, between Dan and Mark are fantastic. And uh, yeah, I plan on listening for a long time to come. Um, also, the Slack community that I recently joined is great. It's kind of filled that void that I've had for a while when all my friends stopped reading comics, so it's nice to connect with people and just kind of nerd out about comics. Dan had mentioned, wanted to hear stories about how we listen to the show. Well, I work in bylaw enforcement. So basically what that means is I go to properties and I enforce basically whatever property standards are out of code. So it involves giving people tickets and just having conversations with people about bringing their property up to code. Usually while I'm on the road, I'm listening to the Amazing Spider-Man podcast. 
or Amazing Spider Tech podcast, sorry. I'll be basically pausing Dan and Mark mid-sentence, getting out of my car, sometimes giving people a ticket, sometimes getting into arguments, often getting yelled at, all, all part of the job. And once that's done, hop back in my car, plus play again. So it's a, it's a very nice reprieve after, you know, what are the hard parts of my job, just to nerd back out, get into the zone, and, you know, think about Spider-Man. So, again, congrats on 200 episodes, and I look forward to listening for the future. Thank you. Hi, Dan and Mark. Greetings from Scotland. I discovered your podcast about 10 months ago and binged everything to date within about two weeks after getting the entire Superior run sale. I immediately signed up for your Patreon. I love your Slack group and it's helped me find fellow Spider fans to discuss the comics with. My girlfriend's getting sick of me discussing continuity and theorising at her. I look forward to your reviews just as much as I look forward to the next issue dropping. Uh, congrats on 200 episodes and here's the next 200. Ewan. Hi, Mark and Dan. Happy 200th anniversary episode. This is Joel Terrell out of Chaparral, New Mexico. And I just want to say congratulations and thank you, you guys for putting out so many great episodes over the years. I really started listening to you guys back whenever you guys were covering the clone conspiracy. I read you guys had some hot takes. I believe it was on CBR, and I started getting into you guys. I disagreed with 90% of what you said because I really love Ben Riley, uh, but I stuck around. I went back listened to a lot of your essentials, ended up loving everything that you guys did. Like, seriously. Like, I may not always agree with you, but you guys are some of the most storied and best people I've ever listened to to have a strong grasp on history and also the work that it takes to put out Spider-Man comics. And I just really want to thank you guys again for doing so much greatness for 200 episodes now. Uh, I actually, every time I go on a road trip, I will continually download and listen to the Amazing Friends Clone Saga uh, episode with uh, Howard Mackey. Like, I just love that episode. My girlfriend is entirely too big of to it. She's probably heard it, like, 50 times now. But she put up with you guys. Also, she knows your theme song by heart now. It's perfect. Anyways, I, I want to thank you guys again. Sorry, that was fantastic. Congratulations. Hope you guys go on to do a trillion more. Hi, this is Steve Lambert calling in from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Uh, I go by the Slambert on the Amazing Spider Slack. Uh, I started listening to you guys uh, right around when you went to your new format with Seasons. Uh, and since that time, I've stayed up to date on all your new episodes and have been catching up on your old episodes. I listen to you guys while I'm doing chores uh, and while I'm walking to work. And if I ever have to drive anywhere by myself, uh, I have you guys playing over the radio in my car as well. Um, and I've got about 20 episodes left until I'm completely caught up. Uh, but I've really enjoyed listening to um, all of your episodes about old comics that I haven't read in a long time uh, and uh, remembering what those stories were about. I'd forgotten about a lot of those uh, but a lot of those stories, and it's been fun to hear about them again and hear your guys' take on them and uh, stay up to date with this new stuff as well. I just wanted to say one thing, though. Uh, you guys haven't brought this up in a while, but you used to talk about Canadian bacon a lot uh, on your older episodes. And I just want to say what Americans call Canadian bacon, Canadians call crappy American ham. 
Uh, we don't have that here, uh, and what we do have is something called pea-meal bacon or back bacon. Pea-meal is like cornmeal. Uh, it's on the edge of the bacon, and it's different than strip bacon. We have that too, but it's actually delicious, and if you haven't had that, uh, you should try it sometime because it's really good, and uh, don't put your crappy breakfast food on us because it has nothing to do with us. All right, thanks so much, guys. Take care. Okay to print, okay to publish. Congratulations, Mark and Dan, on 200 episodes. I've been a, Sp a Spidey fan all my life. He's my favorite character. But haven't bought any issues since Civil War. I've been listening to the podcast for almost a year now, and your passion is contagious. I bought every issue of the new book now, and I plan to stick around for a long time. Thanks for reminding me about power and responsibility. Used to 200 more. Hey guys, this is Chris Markle, also known as the Amazing Spider Dad on Twitter. I just wanted to thank both Dan and Mark for the labor of love that they have created in this podcast and for um, inspiring me personally to finish my mission of reading all uh, 800 plus issues of Amazing Spider-Man. Getting ready to start on the B-books now, but um, it was exciting to listen along, especially to the essentials. Uh, podcast to go back and, and, you know, kind of go back in time and think of about uh, all, all of what makes Spider-Man and Peter Parker so great in the entire Spider-Universe. It's also helped to reaffirm why I took to Spider-Man at such a young age, at seven, seeing the original animated series and why that connected with me. And to ultimately pass on that legacy to my son, who also is a huge webhead and has overcome so much in his life, even at, at nine years old, um, with, with health conditions. He's an inspiration to me as well. So for me to pass that legacy on to him has meant so much. And, and you guys are a big part of that, as well as our community of Spider-Man fans around the globe. So thanks so much, and I wish you all the best in the future. Thanks so much, guys. Hey, everybody. Ethan Ainsworth here. I just wanted to tell you what what a tremendous show The Amazing Spider Talk is. I host my own podcast called Nights, a Marvel podcast, but uh, you shouldn't listen to it. You should listen to this because it's a much better show. I've been listening to this show for a very, very long time, back since it's been the uh, Superior Spider Talk. And i got to say, it, it, it's been there for me, you know, consistently. I've been able to go to it and listen to it whenever I was bored. You know, maybe I needed some Spider-Man in my life. So we've been there. Hopefully it always will be. Keep doing what you're doing, guys. Excelsior. Hey, Mark and Dan. This is Mark Diefenderfer calling from Lafayette, Indiana. I uh, I was reading Mark's Chasing Amazing blog for about a year, uh, maybe two years, before you started the podcast, and uh, I loved vicariously following along with um, with Mark's chase. But w when the first episode of the show came out, I thought, you know... I already read this blog pretty much every day. I'm not sure I really need to also listen to a podcast. Uh, well, the the fact that I'm calling in 199 episodes later, uh, hopefully, should tell you that you were doing something right, even way back then, uh, and that you still are. 
anyway, I, I just wanted to congratulate you both for uh, reaching this milestone. But even more importantly, I, I want to thank you because what you two are doing by uh, by chronicling the history of Spider-Man and uh, getting creators on the record who, if if not for you, I, I don't think the world ever would have heard some of these people. And, and that's nothing short of a gift to to people who love Spider-Man and to people who love popular culture. So uh, thank you guys, and, uh, and here's to another 200 episodes. Whew, Dan, we're, we're almost there. I don't even know exactly how many hours we're into the show right now, but um, <laughs> thank you for joining us for this 200th episode anniversary spectacular of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. Dan, we're going to take some well-deserved time off. Uh, any teases about upcoming content that people might want to know about? Well, Mark, I can't say anything concrete, but I will say that you and I may be landing a few interviews directly from the heart of the Spider Office, so really, everybody, keep your fingers crossed and say your spider prayers to make this happen. Mark and I have been working pretty hard to kind of line up some really top-tier guests for the show. So I don't know what people can do. Can they cross all eight of their limbs to make this happen? Oh, boy. Come on, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> but we've got some other surprises in store for you during the break as well. Beyond those surprises... So truly the best way to keep the fun going is to become a part of our Patreon Members Club. And as always, we like to round up by saying what people can get as being a part of that club. So this week, our Patreon subscribers are going to get a special review episode of Amazing Spider-Man number 5, the end of that first story from the new creative team of Nick Spencer and Ryan Otley. And also, listeners should keep an eye on their mailboxes for the Daily Bugle and Alex Saviak print that should be headed their way very soon. So if you're itching to get more amazing Spider Talk, even in our break, remember, there's no better place than that Patreon, and for just $3.99 a month, the price of a new comic, you'll get access to those new issue reviews, B-book reviews, extended interviews, mailbags, and more. And again, for $10 or more a month, you'll get that Alex Saviak print, or whatever artists were doing at the time, and... Our just recently announced Steve Lieber print from Superior Foes of Spider-Man doing some D-list villain drawings for us. Oh, man. Just just to have Boomerang in an original piece of artwork, Dan. I mean, come on. What's better than that? This I, guy. I right? can't think of much. Uh, <laughs> plus, we've also got the amazing Spider-Slack community for you to join. Just check this episode's description for a link to join our Spider-Man talking community. Mark... I can't believe it. We're ending episode 200 of the show. I think the best way to end this is really just to say thank you so much to everyone who's listened, not only through the several hours of this episode, but through all 200 episodes of our show, no matter the numbering be damned how we got to this number. Thank you so much for listening to us. We wouldn't be doing this if no one was listening. We'd just be talking to each other, and you guys make this possible. Absolutely. Well, well, Dan, provided that Twitter uh, is still exists after the end of this show, considering the number of hours we've been going for, um, <laughs> where, where can we find you, and um, not just, I guess, on Twitter, but elsewhere on the Internet? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at, at SupSpiderTalk. 
And I'll also be hanging around my regular Twitter account, at Dan Gavazdin, where I do all my non-Spider-Man stuff. I'm going to be, you know, working on my graphic novel a lot during the break and starting to kind of pitch it around to, you know, comics companies. So if you want to follow my journey through that process, uh, just follow me on Twitter at, at Dan Gavazdin. Mark, what about yourself? What are you going to be doing during the break people should keep their eye out for? Uh, yeah, well, uh, you could, of course, find me on social media at ChasingASMblog. Uh, you can still get my book, 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Uh, I don't have a graphic novel that I'm pitching, Dan, but I will be running the Chicago Marathon in early October. It's going to be marathon number three for me. So I'm sure uh, in both the lead up and that weekend, uh, it's Columbus Day weekend, I will be uh, probably a bit of a wreck because that's just what happens to me when I'm running marathons. So, uh, yeah, congratulations for all of you for seeing me be a wreck. <laughs> well, we aren't taking this break lying down. That's for certain. <laughs> You're going to be running a marathon, so that's incredible. Um, you know, what's been a marathon is this show, 200 episodes straight. That's at least 40 a year at the pace that we've been going. Uh, Mark, we've got a motto that's ended every single show of our podcast, and I'm sure the people at home don't need to hear it another time, but as we're always sure to remember, for another 100 episodes of this show, at least I hope so, Mark, what is our motto for the show? Yes, Dan, that motto is, with great podcasts must also come the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. Now let's go kill a burglar. Ugh, my heart! <laughs>